Blog Talk Radio. Once the fight, you know, was in, in the ring, 
Yeah, I saw enough 8th and ninth and 10th that I didn't necessarily think that at that point he was going to get stopped. I thought he'd make it. Um, I did pick him to make it the distance, but, um, you know, Canelo just stuck to his game plan and proceeded to, you know, slowly but surely land the harder shot. Um, but, yeah, I did not see, like, uh, so after there was 10 rounds, clearly that was scored. And um, one of the scorecards had Plant winning two rounds. One of them had three, and one of them, I believe, had four. Um, so after 10 rounds, could I see Plant up, let's say, six to four? I really couldn't. I really couldn't. Five, five. I think five, five's pushing it. Um, I would settle in nicely as far as on the high end at six to four for Canelo. Um, you know, I don't know if I gave him four rounds for sure, but I could see six to four. I think that's a fair scorecard. I'm around away from five, five, but you know, I'm pretty close to seven, three too. So we're going to kind of go round by round, talk it through. I did think that, like I mentioned, plant, um, his jab was very fast and pretty hard. Not hard enough to call it necessarily a power jab, but it was definitely winning him some rounds. His movement and defense held up for quite some time, and then it kind of just slowly – he definitely had the shoulder roll going. It definitely just kind of slowed down for him a little bit here and there. Um, we talked about the right hand and how he needs to either throw it a lead right hand, a right hand following the jab or left hook, or just, you know, landing the right hand some way and then, you know, in a maybe a pot shot for him and then just dip it, you know, pivoting. So although he landed some right hands, uh, they weren't all that effective and he didn't land enough of them. I thought he could have just put another uptick in activity no matter what he was throwing. He did out-throw uh, Canelo, but, you know, it's not like he had 600 punches thrown with two rounds left or something like that. I think he went over 400 uh, punches and they landed very similar. It's just, it's one of those fights that within the rounds, it, it can be what you like, you know, my thing is if you're going to, if your best punch and don't get me wrong in some exchanges and some back and forth where they took turns landing good punches, he did land some really good left hooks uh, playing. But really the best going in, we kind of knew, is either left hook or definitely the jab. And he definitely, Canelo in his tracks at times with the jab, at least make him reset, fluster him a little bit. But it didn't, you know, deter him from eventually just going right back, you know, towards him. There was a couple of times when he pushed him back early in the fight and a little later in the fight, but not nearly enough. Um so, yeah, I mean, when you look at and we'll go through some of the copy box numbers just to – that these are this is what you kind of use it for. You know, if you have some tight rounds and there's not much split in the rounds, then if you're going to be just a busier fighter, you almost have to double the guy up in lands. Like if you land 16 and your opponent's landing 8, okay, then you can at least say, well, look, dude, I, I landed a bunch of good punches. Not the power punches, but I still did, and that was not the case. I'm not saying he didn't um, land more in some rounds because he did, but that's the type of stuff we're talking about. And when you can start to see the heavier shots add up, 
it's hard not to give around. But as far as like some of the folks that had them up, you know, four one two. Like I said, I saw a bunch of seven two seven threes six threes. Then, like I mentioned, I didn't I didn't really look again because the last couple of rounds and whatnot, and I wasn't paying attention to Twitter at that time during the break or anything. But overall, it was a competitive fight. So we are going to talk. The recap with that, we'll talk about the really fun, exciting fight that we got on the ESPN Plus main event card. Um, the scorecards were just <laughs> real funky. Like, you know, sometimes we'll just get that one scorecard where you're just like, huh, what the hell was that ref looking at? But really, pretty much all three were bad. Uh, was one acceptable? Maybe, you know. I, I doubt it, but the other two, I mean, not to give the opponent one round, but that was ridiculous. Um, and then, of course, this weekend, uh, Munguia and Rosado kind of lead the way. Um, David Benavides returns, a couple other fights that we'll talk about as well. Um, and then, you know, of course, let's talk about what's next for Canelo. You know, who is next for Canelo? Is it Benavides if he comes through? somewhat injury prone or whatever because it does sound like Canelo is going to fight in May which makes a lot of sense um there's no point in rushing a fight maybe in February against maybe a mediocre opponent or anybody like say Yildrum just to fight in May again you know he's been really busy four fights in less than a year so he he did talk about how he does want to let his body heal and he'll be definitely back uh, you know, at the top of the year to start talking about who's next. But who is next? Benavidez, Charlo, Golovkin 3. These are 168 fights. Or will he just go to 75 and, and fight Benavidez and try to find Bivol and whatnot? You know, I prefer him to just get all the best fights he can at 168 and then eventually move up. I think if you start going up, down, and up, down – at some point, that catches up to you minorly. I'm just not a big fan of that. Don't get me wrong. When I say I'm not a big fan of that, like, I wouldn't sit there and rip him. If he went up and fought, you know, Bivol and beat him and then came back down and fought Benavidez in September, I wouldn't be ripping him. I think it'd be pretty cool. But if you're, you know, continually bouncing up and down, like, you got these fights lined up, you know, you can fight Benavidez, Charlo can get a fight, at 168 to, you know, acclimate himself a little bit and then fight him in September. And then, you know, maybe then you fight Golovkin. Or, or maybe Golovkin is in May. I, I'm not sure, but we're going to talk about uh, what's next. Speaking of what's next, you know, a lot of folks uh, message me that Stevens, uh, Stevenson, I should say, and Oscar Valdez is next, but I just don't see that happening. Hopefully it's next, next, the, the fight after. We'll get into that a little bit. Also, we'll cover just a little bit of the Team USA um, at the World Championships, four different medals, I believe, so that's really cool. A um, couple other items out there, fight news-wise, uh, Virgil Hill um, left his trainer, which kind of took people by surprise couple of other, you know, current fight news items. And then, of course, a little boxing Twitter segment where, you know, we read basically the, the tweets of the week, some really great tweets, right, that really point out something or, or just hit home or whatever the case may be or just funny as hell. And, of course, the, the fanboy tweets and the media members uh, acting as fanboys. Uh, 
that's kind of all in that uh, boxing Twitter segment. Um, if this is your first time listening to the Rope and Dope Radio podcast, welcome. It streams live right here on blogtalkradio.com forward slash Rope and Dope Radio. You don't have to go to Blog Talk and, and, and Rope and Dope and download the show directly there. Listen to the browser if you don't want to. You can find the platform on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Player FM, TuneIn, Stitcher, Stricker, and a whole variety of places. We're also part of the Grueling Truth Sports Podcast Network. While you're at it, why don't you head on over to the gruelingtruth.com and then in a bunch of other places too if you just Google it, Rope Dope Radio. Um, one more thing, though, if you're thinking about cutting the cord or you have, you're not quite happy, i got something for you. It's called Direct TV Stream. The prices start as low as $69.99 a month. It's the best of live TV and on-demand, no annual contract, no hidden fees. If you upgrade to the choice or ultimate packages, that gives you three free months of HBO Max, plus you get to enjoy regional sports networks with no additional fees, which if you look at the cable companies, that's getting harder and harder to accomplish. <laughs> Um, and then also, if you go all the way to the premiere package, and this goes, you know, applies to boxing fans as well, you get HBO Max and Showtime, which is really, you know, <laughs> putting on a lot of great fights lately anyway. HBO Max and Showtime in that package already included. That's direct TV stream. Okay, so it was, uh, that was a really a good fight, a competitive fight, right? It wasn't um, some kind of war or, you know, I don't truly really think anybody thought it was going to be just this complete, you know, brawl or anything like that. But um, if you look, let's say, the first three rounds, right, I did think Caleb won two out of the first three. His jabs, some left hooks, the movements, um, whereas Canelo, you know, he would land an overhand right from time to time. Um, he probably stole the second half, the second half of the second round with some really nice body shots um, and a left hook to the head. I think he stole that round off of that. Um, some good body work, but I think the, the jabs, the left hook, and the defense on plant was probably enough to give him a two-to-one advantage after three. Um, then I thought Canelo kind of tightened up for me, although – in the fourth round, Plant was busier with his jabs and a few right hands, not much. He, he did land a nice right-hand counter in there. The inside shots, the flurries, the left hooks to the body or head, that was just Canelo. He was landing the better shots overall um, in a close fifth round as well. I gave him the sixth round as well. You know, those left hooks whether it was to the body or head. And then the chopping right hands found a home, and that's ultimately the left hook chopping right hand is what ended it. So after six, you know, I was okay with right in that 3-3 three, three range, um, maybe 4-2 Canelo, maybe, you know, I don't know if it was 4-2 Plant, but, you know, whatever. I was okay with right around a 3-3. Three, three. The seventh round was really close, and I'll have to say this. I haven't watched it again yet. I am going to watch it with a friend here soon who didn't get a chance uh, to check it out. we got a project that we're working on, so we're, we're probably going to watch it together there. So maybe maybe some of these rounds, uh, you know, I'll give an extra one to Plant or whatever. But the eighth round, I did think that Plant won that one. I thought that um, it was very close, don't get me wrong. But 
those shots that he was landing with the hard jab, like I said, left hook, and he actually landed some to the body in that round, and the movement was making Canelo reset a little bit more. Um, I thought, so the seventh, like I mentioned, was close, but I favored Canelo. Um, the ninth, I gave Plant the eighth. The ninth, that was really competitive, too. Like I said, maybe if I went back and watched this fight again, or when I do, I'll be kind of back and forth on that. You know what I mean? Um, but to me, the activity with the jabs and all that was nice in the ninth round, and I understand why people gave it to him, but I still think the better shots uh, were from Canelo, you know? Um, and so I did like what I saw in the first, say, three rounds from Plant, and then even the last few rounds, starting with probably the, well, the seventh, too, but the eighth and ninth and tenth, even though I didn't give him all those. Um, the first knockdown came from a left hook um and it was one of those where it kind of looked like he was going to the body you know lumped him up with the left hook had him hurt right then and there you could see his legs were in trouble he was trying to like stable his right foot down it was just a matter of time those overhead choppy rights i spoke of started taking advantage there was uppercuts flurries uh, a right to the jaw, right to the ear. He, he basically stopped him. I mean, once Plant hit the ground for that second time, you know, he was uh, had a leg kind of hanging off the rope. It was over. It was over. He did try to kind of get his stuff together and, and get up a little bit um, or at least look like he was going to try to get up. But the rest had, uh, had stopped it by then. So I thought Plant gave a good account for himself. Um, but, yeah, I mean – it kind of goes back to, and I just want to double check on those scorecards real quick that I said that properly, because I did get a little pushback here from that. So one scorecard, like I mentioned, had to do the first and the ninth round for Caleb. Uh, the other one had the first, the fourth, and the ninth and tenth. So that would be four right rounds. And then the first... The last one had the first round, rounds eight and nine, so that's three. So I, I am correct, two, three, and four. So, yeah, I, I just didn't see, given six, you know, having it six to four. Like I said, I saw a couple seven to threes. I'm talking about in favor of plan. Um, overall, though, as far as just talking about the copy box, um, Plant was busier at 441 thrown compared to 361. Clearly, you know, the jabs, he, out, he doubled them up throwing and then 42 to 15 overall. Now, the power shots, you know, um, Canelo threw 251 to 209 and landed almost double, 102 to 59 at a higher clip, too. And then the body shots, 52 to 11. So it's actually he landed more body shots than – plant landed jabs and don't get me wrong like i said some of the jabs kind of stopped uh you know canelo in his tracks momentarily or snapped his neck a little bit but i just don't think overall he was active enough i mean he landed 23 percent of his total punches it was 117 canelo to 101 but when i'm talking about the close you know when you are activity based mostly like i said the jab had some sting on it and definitely speed and we talked about last week how you needed to show the judges you were landed. So whatever you were going to land, it was going to 
have to be clean and crisp, and, and you could see his head snap. And like I said, did he land some right hands? Sure, he did. Uh, only really one or two good counters. A couple of left hooks in exchanges early in that fight that actually I was like, oh, wow, if he keeps doing that, that's going to be major. But he didn't. But just looking at the punches landed, right? And you can look at thrown and landed and all that. You know, there's not too many rounds where Canelo, you know, threw more punches. You know, the last two rounds is the only, I'm looking at it right now, the only one where he threw more punches than plant. But you got to look at the lands. And I know this isn't a perfect science with CompuBox, but this is where I think it comes in handy. And also, we could say, oh, it's not correct. But we all, we all know body shots don't get, they're just new when it comes to CompuBox, on average anyway. But you're looking at, so I'll say Plant's number first, then Canelo's second as far as lands per round. So the first round, 8 to 5. Second round, 15 to 13. Third round, 10 to 9. Canelo outlanded him in the fourth, 10 to 8. 9 to 8 the next round. Then Canelo, sixth round, 14 to 9. 10 to 7. 12 to 6 in the eighth. Uh, 12 to 11, so a very competitive round there. And even the tenth, you know, um, 15 to 12. That was So there was a few rounds that he actually landed more than him, uh, Canelo. But that's what I'm saying. If you land one to two to three more punches, it's, but the power punch comes through, you know, you're not really, like I said, if it's, if it's 15 to eight, well, then you've now stacked up a lot, you know, a fair amount more punches in a round. Whereas, and then Canelo would have to land something really big. You know, having the one big, nice, clean shot or a couple to the body and then a nice head shot, it'd be different if you're landing, you know, 13 to, let's say, 17 punches around. That's being busy. That's being active. Um, and I'm not saying Plant wasn't somewhat busy at times. It just, for the folks that did have him, you know, up, in the fight, six to four, or like I said, I saw a few seven to threes. I just, you know, maybe we're looking at something different. Like I said, maybe I'll give another round, you know, to plant. I, you know, I, I watch fights again sometimes. And, um, I mean, if they're good fights, I watch them again and again. But I don't know. I just didn't see him winning. Like, I wasn't in the 11th going, dude, plant's up on the scorecards right now, dude. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm talking about us watching the score, you know, watching the fight and scoring. And I'm not talking about the actual scorecards because you never really know, especially with the Canelo guy, you know, fight with the scorecards. Um, but overall, I still think Plant did well, you know. We'll talk a little bit about, um, you know, obviously some of the undercard. Ray Vargas actually was very, uh, was very exciting. You know, he was uh, just letting off shots, especially to the body. Um, overall, even in the sixth round, you know, he had outlanded him like 71 to 15. Um, it, he, he had some good moments. We'll talk a little bit about Elvis Rodriguez fight, which was a fun two-way fight until it wasn't. Um, and then obviously Anthony Durrell with that uppercut knockout and, and, uh, Michaela Mayer too was in a really fun fight, spirited fight. Really liked that one. It was fun to see her have that grit where she, Sometimes pushed her back, fought right in the middle on the inside, and also sometimes pivoting and just making that subtle movement. I was very impressed with that. 
was fun to see her in that style of fight because obviously you know you fight long enough, you're going to fight every style there is. Okay, so we will talk about what's next, um, you know, no doubt about it. You know, I think that they should – I think in a perfect world – well, <laughs> that's such a dumb statement to say in boxing. In a perfect world, you know, it just it's just not realistic. But I, I wouldn't – I wouldn't mind Benavidez. I don't think he'll get the WBC mandatory called per se. I suppose it's been about once he's done fighting, it'll be about a year since that Yildrum. You know what that what he fought February this last February, and that was the mandatory. So I don't, and that was like an old mandatory too. So I don't know if they even call that fight um, for the mandatory, but. I think if he fought Benavides, if, you know, obviously Benavides gets through his fight and he's not hurt or anything like that or makes weight or something like that, but fight Benavides in, in May and then, you know, have Charlo go to 168 and fight just a solid guy to acclimate himself and then fight Charlo in September, of course, it, you know, Benavides maybe beats him, then, then you could have the rematch in September. But I would like to see Benavides, whatever it is, Benavides and Charlo, the next two fights. And he already said that it's going to be May. Now, if they throw Golovkin in there, am I going to freak out? No, I'm not the one. I mean, here's the thing. I understand what everybody's saying as far as, you know, first of all, how many times has Golovkin even been up to 168? I mean, most of the fights, he did, you know, back in his prime, he didn't really want to go up there, which I understand. He was looking for that Canelo payday in that big fight. Um, he had an opportunity to go up. He, he decided not to, but going up, like, it does seem like it's going to be more of a one-sided fight. Um, and I don't think it would be one-sided like people are saying, though, like fully one-sided. I think Golovkin's jab is just too good for it to be completely one-sided. And would he stop him? You know, maybe his chin finally, you know, falters. Dude's got a freaking chin, though, Golovkin. So let, let, everyone's just kind of counting a knockout like it would for sure happen. Now, maybe going up in weight, you know, he doesn't – maybe his power is not the same. Like I said, maybe his punch resistance is finally giving up on him. Maybe. I don't know that that's just a for sure knockout, though. My point is Golovkin 1 and Golovkin 2 were outstanding fights. The first one was great, phenomenal. second one was a step up. And – so many times in pay-per-view events or fights in general, at the top, top, tippy-top levels of the sport and at the, each weight class, we don't necessarily get that fight a whole lot, if we're being honest. Competitive, skill, brawl, kind of a big mixture of everything in those fights. And so the fact that they already did that twice, to me it's like, hey, man, I'm not going to sit here and bitch about a third fight. You know what I mean? I'm just not going to. Because uh, you know they gave us two great fights, I get it. I kind of the whole deserve thing is an argument. Whatever. I would like Golovkin to have you know fought somebody recently beyond just Derevchenko for an IBF Mando. His other two fights were pretty much jokes. Uh, it sounds like he's going to fight a pretty decent fight. I wish he would have already fought this guy um, next, but. It is kind of funny how once Golovkin got old, people just uh, a lot of people you know that were just Golovkin defenders at all costs, putting up putting them in the same sentence of Hagler and, and uh, you know and, and 
and uh, B-Hop and whatnot, you know, they really loved to dump on Miguel Cotto and Sergio Martinez back then. These dudes don't want it, this, that, and the third. Meanwhile, Cotto is actually lining up for a Canelo fight that he ended up fighting and ended up being a competitive fight, a good fight, which that was his biggest payday. Funny how now it's okay for these same folks, and a lot of them are in the media, now, you know, a lot of people are, are like, all right, Golovkin, let's do something. But I do notice many folks, you know, not worrying about it now that he's older. And I understand when you get older in that scenario. But I also understood Sergio Martinez, one knee, one good knee, Sergio Martinez, and then Cotto. I understood that as well. So they were making it, you know, they were kind of degrading those great fighters. And now that we're here, those same guys are not degrading uh, Golovkin. And I'm not saying, oh, he should get degraded. You know, like I said, two out of his three fights were just garbage fights. But the Derevchenko fight was very good. And this next fight I don't mind, as long as that's actually happening. I assume it is. But I just kind of find it funny how that, that kind of goes into it. But, yeah, I'm not going to be one of those are, that are going to really overly complain. And, and to be fair... I'm assuming it could be on DAZN. Now, we've heard about the DAZN pay-per-view. So if it is on pay-per-view, then it's like, well, hold on, DAZN. You know what I mean? So either way, I kind of think that it's going to be at least 50 bucks. You know what I mean? I don't know if that would be involved in the subscription. You know, I doubt it would. But, uh, man, it's too bad if they don't because that would actually draw. Um, that would be their biggest sub. We've known that forever as far as, you know, I mean, Fury or Wilder never fought on that platform. So that that fight or a Joshua fight, that would be a huge sign-up getter too. But to have Canelo and Golovkin fight that third time, they would get a million subs for sure. Because if it's on straight up the zone, I mean, I don't know how – I mean, if they're getting over a million pay-per-view buys, then for sure they're – you know, I don't know. What's that mean? 1.5, 2 million sign-ups? I have no clue. But – it would be over a million, and they've never cracked a million. They're surely not. I don't even know if they'd be 500,000 right now, you know, because um, a lot of people probably fell off, you know. I mean, since May, it was dormant, especially for Matchroom, um, and then obviously no Canelo. But anyway, let's bring in great boxing mind. Just let me refresh my switchboard. Okay, John, sorry. All right, let's bring in John and see what he has to say about last weekend's fight. Like I said, we'll talk a little bit uh, about some other action that took place. What's going on, John? How are you doing tonight? Hey, Chris. Uh, how's it going? Uh, enjoyed listening to you start to recap things. And, you know, uh, looking forward to uh, talking about uh, some good action last weekend and just what we have upcoming this weekend. Yeah, so, um, you know, Canelo just stuck to his guns as far as what he wanted to do in this fight. Uh, He made little minor adjustments, nothing major, but it was just like keep working the body, both, you know, right and left hooks to the body, left hook to the head, you know, chopping right hand I mentioned. Didn't really even throw a ton of jabs, actually. Just basically like the last couple, Callum Smiths and, uh, you know, um, Billy Joe Saunders, it was basically a very similar game plan. Um, and I suppose parts of that third Golovkin fight when he started pushing forward, 
uh, a little bit of the Kovalev fight like that, too. What do you think overall of the fight and how it played out? And each side kind of comment on that, how each fighter did, maybe the shortcomings. And then also I'd like you to address how you had it scored because um, I don't know if you saw some folks on boxing Twitter and some of these guys that were uh, tweeting some of these scorecards, I really respect. But there was a couple that I'm like, hold on, what? What's your scorecard? What, what it, let's address that after you kind of break down the fight. Yeah, I ended up, uh, you know, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good fight. I, th- I thought, uh, thought of it sort of the way you had described it. Uh, a good competitive skilled fight that wasn't a war or anything like that, or, you know, real back and forth drama, but, you know, a lot of, a lot of intrigue, uh, plant was competitive the whole way, you know, literally right up to the end of the fight. Um, so I thought it was a good fight. I thought at least as far as the main event went, considering it was a pay-per-view broadcast and we have to, just the way boxing is, we have to evaluate that as, as part of things when we look at uh, the success of the event. Uh, you know, good good crowd. You had had some celebrities getting back to that good Vegas atmosphere. So, thought the main event came off well. Uh, I did notice early on. I thought that Plant, as you thought he might, uh, because even though he's a boxer, he, he kind of has a different style than that. Oftentimes, he started out with his jab a little more than I expected, and it was working. And then uh, I saw some people, to me, kind of speculate, well, Canelo was so good defensively, and Canelo is very good defensively, and he's also got a great chin, that that was why Plant stopped jabbing, you know, after the first few rounds. I, I, don't, I don't know about that. I, I just think, you know, this this is kind of the concerns Plant going in, uh you know, not so much, at least you and I, I mean, not so much his talent level, but uh, the fact that he hadn't really been in all that tough. And, you know, now he's taken on Canelo, who at this point, even though it's a mythical title, is the consensus number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. And for this era, who fighters take on, obviously he has the deepest resume in boxing in terms of who he's took on in his career, even now at this point at, you know, age 31. Uh, so, you know, it, it was a tough assignment for Plant, and I think in the sense of where he was at in his career, you know, he got the big payday. I think that was obviously the goal. You're not going to fault anybody for getting that in the most dangerous sport, but it wasn't the best preparation for being in there uh, with Canelo. You know, forget alphabet belts. The plant was ranked number one by transnational, which I agreed with. But, you know, it, it's it's a case of too many weight classes. You know, I mean, I, I support what transnational's trying to do. So if they're going to rank 17, I'm, I go along with that and I participate with that, uh, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm okay with that. But, you know, like, like you said, the ideal world, we certainly don't have that in boxing. Uh, but there would be eight or nine weight classes. And why that matters and why I'm analyzing that the fight is because, like we said last week, if you had eight or nine weight classes, you know, Plant was going to be maybe roughly the number 10 light heavy and Canelo is going to be the number one light heavy or the, the champ at light heavy, and that's where you had a big gap. And I think as the fight went on, you saw some of that. Not that Plant didn't really know what he's doing, but 
you've just got that mental pressure from being in that position without really having that kind of experience level and preparation. And then that really, you know, we've seen that with fighters in that type of situation in the past. And you saw it a little bit. It, it adds just a little bit to the physical fatigue. It's not that you saw him gas out or anything, but it's like you said, you, you saw him get less active at times than he would need to be, even though he was throwing more punches than Canelo, according to CompuBox, because Canelo is the much harder puncher. And you saw that Saturday night. There was no doubt about that. So, but I, I agree with you. I mean, I thought Plant stayed in it. And, you know, I, I've done it the way you do it, but I haven't been writing down my rounds as I score like I used to. And I was trying to think of how I had it right as we got down the stretch of it more. I, I think Plant did have a good round in there. Um, but I thought at the time it ended the 6-4, basically one judge having it, you know, Canelo up by two. Uh, 96-94, I guess. I, I thought that was reasonable. I had it about there. I mean, I thought it was about, you know, it was about even, and then I, I, I think, you know, Canelo started to pull ahead a little, and then Plant might have had a good round there, but but Canelo had, had just started to build the lead up, but I also saw it the way you did, you know, as we went into the 11th round, uh, you know, you and I both thought Plant would go the distance, and that was the underdog pick, so uh, you have to look at how it played out, I think we, we both have nothing to be embarrassed about there because, you know, he was well into the 11th round and wasn't showing any signs of getting stopped at that point. So I think we have to ourselves for really pretty much seeing correctly how this was going to play out, even though Plant ended up getting stopped. But uh, I thought Plant, to me, you know, his, the left hook's his best punch, and I didn't think he was able to get that felt confident in throwing it or getting it in for whatever reason. I thought that did hurt him in the fight. You know, Canelo is good defensively and him and Golovkin have the best chins in boxing. Like I say, one a and one B, but you know, plant does have a, a good left hook a bit underrated and he just wasn't really getting that punch in. I thought that hurt him. Um, I saw what you did too. He was getting it. It was a big surprise. I think to everyone, including Canelo, and, and Canelo did mention that a little bit after the fight. I mean, he, he was getting in a good straight right hand on a lot of occasions. And even though it's not his best punch and he's not a puncher, I'm not saying Canelo was hurt or anything like that, but it, it did look to me a few times like it, it, it was just kind of stinging him and stopping him for, for some moments. And, and that did surprise me. So Plant was getting that in, but it's just not his, it's just not his best shot. So he's doing some good things. And I agree with what you said. Canelo, as we've seen more in recent fights, it's not that he didn't come forward sometimes in other fights like, you know, against Lara, but it's it's been a little bit different in these recent fights, I agree. We've been working for him. It's kind of a, a defensively responsible, cautious pressure. In other words, he's got the good head movement. He's got the good defense. He has a good jab, but he doesn't use it very seldomly, uh, but it's power when he does use it. But he's not like jabbing his way in, but he's just got the good head movement. And then, you know, he, he's throwing the, the, good, uh, the good hooks, the body shots, and the uppercuts. And, you know, one thing I think about the 11th when Plant ended up meeting his demise in the fight, you know, he definitely got hurt by that first left hook. But I, I don't think, you know, and, and I, this is just from watching it live and then the replay, you know, a couple replays afterward. But I'm, I'm pretty sure I got this down. Um, 
you know, he gets stung by the hook, but that hook w- wouldn't have taken him out. It, it was that right uppercut that Plant was ducking down in his defensive posture. And it, it is ironic because it was basically the same shot that made Sanders quit. Now, Plant didn't quit, but right. he, went, he went down, you know. But, but that, that was amazing because, you know, that's a, that's a, it's almost an unorthodox type shot for, you know, Canelo kind of reflexes, and that could be a knockout shot for him. But two good boxers in a row, and, and for what it's worth, but I think it is wor- worth pointing out, I mean, to me, Plant did perform better than Saunders, uh, and, and he showed more heart at the end and performed better during the fight. Because, you know, that was up for some debate beforehand. So, I mean, you, you, you got to call it like you see it after it played out, and, and he did perform better. But he got that shot. <laughs> that shot did him in, and that's pretty much, you know, that is the shot that made Sanders quit. And uh, that's that's because Plant was in big, you know, he went down after that uppercut. And, you know, you saw him. I, I give the ref credit for at least giving him a shot to go on because, you know, you saw him get up and, and he was falling all the way across the ring, but he wanted to go on, and and I give the referee credit for at least giving him a chance. But you know, Canelo was very accurate in the follow up, and and he just had he had nothing left to hold him off with. And also, that's that's where these things do matter. I mean, he just that's where he just didn't have the you know he didn't have the experience. It took into the eleventh round for it to catch up to him where he was going to lose the fight. But and that's to his credit, but. It, it, that's where you get into a tough spot, you know, and, and, you know, we, we didn't talk about it that much and you don't want to knock them because plant performed well, they did a good job. There was nothing they did wrong, but in with this experience level, you know, he's being trained by Justin Gambler and his dad. And, you know, you're, you're going up Canelo and Reynoso in this spot. I mean, it's just, right. It, it was just too big of an, it was just too big of an ask, you know, you, you put it all together and sometimes it's too big of an ask, you know, for me, you know, even though the experience level was different, it, it reminds just a couple of things we're talking about now that reminded me of like the Wilder Fury three situation, not because of the styles or anything, but just because like, you know, Wilder in, in his case, he'd, he'd already had a draw with Fury and then got soundly beaten in the second fight. And he he's coming in at two thirty eight, training at home you know, with Malik Scott as the trainer. And it wasn't that Malik Scott did bad, but, it, you know, you're just, you're just stacking up too many bricks. You know, it's just too big of an ask. And when it gets to be too big of an ask, that's, you know, just when you're throwing darts. In other words, you're you're hoping for a win more than you're, you're prepared to win. And, you know, in the Wilder fight, we saw it where he won the first round. He jabbed to the body. That was obviously something Malik Scott came up with, and it worked. And as soon as he got caught in the second round, you never saw that jab to the body until the until the fight ended. You know, you, you, the fight ended, you didn't see it again. So, just saying that when you're not really in a circumstance where where maybe you're in the best preparation for whatever whatever reason, you know, when you get in these tough spots in the fight, um, and and you got that mental and physical pressure which tires you out, and and you're not maybe all the way prepared for the situation. Um, it's just too much. And, you know, I think that's what did end up happening to plant by the time he got into the 11th, but he, he held his, he held his composure and fought well. I thought he performed real well. 
I think like you talked about the scorecards and people you respect. I look at that too. And sometimes as a head scratcher, I, I couldn't see plan ahead at the time, but you know, there was a lot of tight rounds that could kind of go either way. And like you say a lot, you know, what do you like? And I, I think that happens a lot. And it's just easy to, it's easy to say judges are corrupt or somebody on boxing Twitter who didn't have it like you did as an idiot. Uh, you know, it, it's easy to throw that out. It, it's kind of more harder to look at in a nuanced way that, you know, it's in pro boxing and you got a lot of su- subjective criteria. It's really not supposed to be scored by punch counting alone. You know, in other words, if somebody lands two real big hard shots and somebody else lands a bunch of pity pat shots, it's not amateur boxing and pro you can give the round to the, the guy that led, you know, landed the, the couple of hard shots, but some other people might be looking well. They, I, I know people that score like that. You know, just this guy landed more punches in that round, period. He, he wins the round. And, uh, you know, it, like you were looking at accurate confidence box numbers with what Plant was throwing. You know, if you're looking at it that way, uh, you, you might give, give Plant some of those rounds. I, I just think – and I don't think I'm imagining things. I think as the kind of the decades have gone on in boxing too, um, I don't think the I think the fighters have just as much talent. I, I'm not somebody that buys that all the old guys are better or anything like that. But you know, even though boxing is the most dangerous sport, you get hit in the head. We we know things about head trauma that we didn't even know in the old days. I mean, you know, they had they had you know the, the term punch drunk and. They had sense of it, but still, you know, we know how much more the guys fought and how much longer the fights were allowed to go on and things like that. And, you know, I'm not saying that some of that doesn't need to change for safety, but what I'm getting to this, getting back to the point of for scoring rounds, you know, I I don't, I I mean, you have fights that are the exception, no doubt, but I think in a lot of fights nowadays and more recent times, fighters aren't going to be quite as reckless, you know, and just be, coming forward, you know, throwing shots, willing to take one to give one and things like that. And sometimes I think you got a lot of rounds nowadays, a little more than the past where not as much is going on. And, you know, it's, it's kind of really subjective where, and and that's where I think, I think that's where a lot of these scoring controversies come from, because if you're not going to have even rounds, then like I've said, Chris, and I think you agree I mean, people never admit it, but what they do instead of giving even rounds is, oh, this round was close, I'm giving it to Canelo. This round was close, I'm giving it to Plant. And it doesn't necessarily have to do with with who won that specific round. They're just splitting it up because if you look at these judges' scorecards at the end, even when some people say, oh, that judge did a good job, but like two or three judges did a good job, but the two of those three judges didn't score any of the rounds the same. In other words, they might have had it – both six four for somebody, but they scored all the rounds differently. So what are we talking about? In other words, it's a subjective thing that people have a lot of different different opinions on. And uh, you know, I think you, you got some of that with the Plant Canal, like you said. You know, there were people who you respect who who had Plant up, and I thought he was real competitive. I you know I thought he was right in there, and then Canelo started to pull away. So I don't think it was like completely crazy, but I'm with you. I, you know, at, at the point we got to the 11th round, myself, I couldn't see Plant up anymore at that point. I, I didn't. I didn't see it. He was still in the fight, but uh, you know, it wasn't. A, I didn't think it was at a point where he needed a knock. You know, maybe needed a knockout to uh, get a draw or something like. You know, he could have still pulled a draw out for something like that, but. Uh, 
maybe a knockout to win. But, you know, I think that, uh, you know, that the 96-94 Canelo at the end was reasonable. You know, and, and I thought those other cards, again, I could see maybe how they got there, but I thought they had Canelo a little too far ahead. So, again, it's a, it's a subjective thing, but that was pretty much my take on the main event. You know, credit to Canelo for the win. Um, he's performing real well. Overall, fighting better competition in this era than, than other people. Uh, you know, his schedule. And I think, like you said about the upcoming fights, it's got to be a question maybe now is, does he still want to have tune-ups in there, or is he just going to fight twice a year and, and you know, getting his $40 million paychecks and, and make him tough fights that it's not worth him going to a training camp anymore for a tune-up type thing, at least until he gets a little older. That's what I'm kind of curious. You know, I don't, I don't know which way he's going to go there. Yeah, let's say he takes a little break this time over six months, fights in May, fights in December, maybe then he'll fight, you know, kind of a mediocre guy in December or, or early January or something to give him enough time to recoup and then have a full camp for the next May after that. That will be interesting. What do you think about shit? Like, obviously this is, you know, kind of all over the place, but the combination of Benavides and Charlo, the next two fights, uh, maybe a Golovkin third in there. I don't know. Maybe I'm just old school. Maybe I'm just picky. Maybe I'm just selfish or whatever. But I wouldn't mind <laughs> seeing him just go ahead and fight fighters at 168 because there are more there, and potentially there anyway. Just get him out of the way, whether it's only two more fights, three more fights, whatever. Maybe in a year and a half when he's done with three names or a year, you know, maybe Morrell will be closer to being ready by that time. Obviously, that's some, uh, you know, hometown biasness there. But I, I wouldn't mind him just doing the 168 and then really uh, going to 175 and staying there instead of this bouncing back and forth all the time. Like I mentioned, if he did it, I'm not going to rip him, but it kind of makes sense to be like, all right, you fought those three fights. The zone had those guys. Okay, Showtime and PBC has these guys. Go through them and then go up to 175. What, what are your thoughts on who he'll fight next, who you would prefer? And then, you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe he will just bounce back and forth uh, for the next couple of years. Well, I think, and I tweeted this out a couple of days ago, and you know, when I talk, a lot of times I'll talk about the PBC thing because you know I want to, you know, just being in the United States and and you know the history of boxing in the United States. Of course, I watch boxing worldwide, but you know I want to see the hilarity of boxing in the U.S. do well. And, and PBC you know, took the lead on that in 2015 with trying to change things. And you know, to their credit. Top rank made an adjustment then, and and I think in other words, top rank's doing the right things now too, like you know, the ESPN and the ESPN Plus cards, trying to get some exposure. Uh, they cut down on their pay per views. Obviously, they all they've tried to run in recent years. You know, they're going to be involved in another one, but but that's combos with PBC. The only one their own they tried was the Crawford Con, which they shouldn't have tried, and it was a big flop, rightfully so. But but they didn't go back to the well. So, uh, you know, that, that, when I talk about that, I, you know, I just think for zone. I mean, I have the zone. It's, you know, I, I watch it. But to me, it just does nothing for U.S. boxing exposure. I criticize it for that reason from the beginning. And, 
you know, we all have times we're right. We all have times we're wrong, but I, I don't have any problem saying I was, <laughs> I feel like I was proven right on that one. So, uh, you know, but what I'm getting to here is to me, I do see the opening for a Canelo PBC schedule that I, I honestly feel like just makes the most sense for Canelo because like I've said before, and, you know, I, I kind of caught it after the fact free fight though. And it's the first one of those I've caught for a while. And I know they're relatively popular, but I did catch the all access with the Canelo and the plant. And I thought it was good, but why I'm referencing it, like you saw in the all access Canelo, like I've said before, because, just was always my understanding and that was right in there you know he spends a lot of time in san diego and there he was learning his golf in san diego out on the golf course um so what i'm just saying is the guy you know canelo is a mexican and he does great ratings on mexican tv and that's great but he fights in the u.s he spends time in the u.s he's speaking good english now so he's a proud mexican but he's, he's obviously got a lot of connections to the u.s and you know he's he's really in overall the most popular fighter in boxing with a u.s connection so you know he can help the american boxing popularity a lot with even more u.s exposure and then you've got charlo you know an american fighter jamal charlo who's talented he's you know undefeated he's done some solid ratings for this era on fox when he's appeared on there um, you know, he had a he had an entertaining pay-per-view with his brother, that doubleheader pay-per-view. You just heard rumors about what the numbers were, but but at least that was that was an entertaining show. So he's had some exposure, just like Plant has had some exposure, and and I think that that's good. You know, you saw at least arena-wise. I mean, I don't think the gate drives things anymore. This is not the old days, but but you did see good crowd in attendance. So, you know, you would expect that type of thing from Charlo and Benavides. So what I'm getting to is the schedule they're talking about is actually to me, the schedule that for Canelo and U S boxing popularity, which would make the most sense, which would be, you know, fight Charlo or Benavides next, you know, at 168, then fight the other one. And then what I'm thinking is the, the dark horse, because, I just don't know if he can take Beater BF's power, but you know, if Marcus Brown's getting the fight with Beater BF next, I mean, Marcus Brown has the offensive skills and the amateur pedigree to hang with Beater BF. The problem is the first time he gets on hit on the chin with Beater BF's power, he might go. Um, but what I'm getting to there is let's just say the improbable happened and Marcus and Marcus Brown's going to train with Derek James though, which is a perfect fit for his style because when you've looked at the good Marcus Brown, he, he looks like a light heavyweight Errol Spence. I mean, they're both southpaws with good offense in both hands, good boxing skills. It's just, you know, Errol Spence can take a shot and Marcus Brown can't take a shot. But, uh, Right, but you know Derek James. But Derek James is a good fit. I mean, that's a good fit. You know, he's he's going to go to Texas and train with him. I, I like the fit. So I, what I'm why I'm saying all this is, Marcus Brown's PBC. If he were to upset Beater BF, he would be the lineal light heavyweight champ. You know, Canelo's already beaten Kovalev, picked up one alphabet belt there. I mean, you know, if you're a historian, and I think that's the right way to look at it. I mean, you know. If Brown were to beat Beater BF, Canelo goes up and takes him. He he's the light heavyweight champion then too. You know he's done this 168 stuff, and then he could be a couple fights away from 
being the light heavyweight champion. And, you know, I also wonder, even if Peter Biev wins, I mean, you know, Canelo, if he wanted to work with PBC and they wanted to do a pay-per-view with top rank or something, if that's the fight he wanted, you know, they could probably, the way they've been going lately, they might, they've got Crawford Porter coming up. I mean, they might be able to work that out. But I'm thinking the schedule that fits in place is what you were talking about with, I would put on top of that, that, you know, if Brown pulls the upset, I mean, he's PBC. So Canelo could then do the two 168 fights that are good U.S. fights with, you know, Benavides, a Mexican-American, and, you know, Jamal Charlo, um, American. Those would be good, good, solid selling fights, and you could top it off. Possibly Marcus Brown, if he pulled the upset for the light heavyweight lineal title, or if they want to, if Peter BF wins, they want to work something out there. Uh, I'm with you. You're just, just for the record, though, I mean, I did think that, you know, the Canelo-Golovkin was kind of unfinished business, I've never been against the third fight. I think it would still be interesting. You know, Golovkin has the chin and power. I just look at that there, and you can take a guy with a chin and power, even at, you know, age 39, he's going to still be somewhat dangerous. So um, I've always been okay with it. I just don't like it with the DAZN. I mean, heck, I'd like to get it for my DAZN subscription price. But like you said, are they? would they be doing right. that at this point? I mean, now they're talking the zone pay-per-view. I mean, again, it's not anything against the zone, but it's that U.S. exposure type of thing. You know, I mean, if it's just going to be on the zone with a pay-per-view element, I mean, how many people is that going to get to in the U.S.? You know, it's just just not. I don't care what anybody says. And, you know, Golovkin, he did do well with Canelo on previous pay-per-views in a different format, but, you know, he's, he's not an American and, you know, nothing. Not he trains in the U.S. Nothing against him there, but I'm just I'm just talking about you know kind of the the building up U.S. boxing with the with the big fights. But that fight itself, I've never been against it. I would be on board with if Canelo wanted to go in that direction. I'm just starting to sense that Canelo doesn't want to give Golovkin the payday. Um, yeah, it, it seems like that. I think that's it. It seems like it seems really that it turned like that more than anything because Canelo, as he famously poked fun at Andrade, you know, you want payday, you want payday. Canelo is very well he proved right there in English. He's very well aware of that. He knows his own value. You gotta give him credit there for the self awareness. So when you hear him talk like that, you know he's certainly capable behind the scenes of saying, I'm not giving this guy another payday. He he's gotten on my nerves. Um you know, because remember after the, the clenbuteral controversy Golovkin, you know, with Loeffler, you know, they're doing their business thing, but they squeeze more money out of Canelo. You know, he had to give up part of, he had to give up Very part true. of the purse to Golovkin, and you know, they they were looking smart business at that time. But I, I'm sure Canelo didn't forget that and think, guy, I gave you a payday, and you know, now you know to make the second fight still come off, I got to give you part of my purse. Uh, he probably didn't probably didn't appreciate that. So I think. The, the only thing that makes me wonder about that Charlo Benavides schedule and then maybe the light heavyweight fight is not so much the PBC thing. I think Canelo, even, you know, he, he probably knows the business value of that right now with the U.S. connections. But does he want to go with a schedule that tough? You know, I mean, does he want to go, you know, Benavides or Charlo, whichever one comes first, and then to a tough light heavyweight fight right after that? 
maybe he does. You know, maybe he just thinks I don't want to waste my time at this point. That's where that's the where I don't know exactly what he's thinking. Or you know, some people suggested right. it, and to me, it's fights I don't want to see that we don't need any more of. But this is the sport of boxing. I can't rule out like, you know, would would he use a an alphabet mandatory as an excuse to, you know, to me just blow away a John Ryder or somebody like that. Um, I don't need to see that. Um, but this, again, this is, this is boxing. There was a Yildur yeah. fight recently. So, you know, we can't, I want to count that out, but though the sport of boxing, I'm not, I'm not sure that I, you know, that I can count that out. Yeah. And I mean, if two out of the three fights are that, well then, you know, it's easier to swallow that, you know? It's like, all right, well, yeah. as long as you don't put it on paper with it's Yildrum, um, you know, yeah, I think it's, it's a little easier to swallow that. Uh, but we'll see. Yeah, like you said, we, you know, tough fight after tough fight after tough fight after, you know, at, at some point, um, especially if you want to remain active, there there might be something like that. I, I wouldn't doubt it. Maybe that would split the two fights between Benavides and Charlo. Maybe that Benavides fight is tougher you know, then, then some people assume Benavides is the best fight. You know, I, I don't know. It, 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 sometimes it doesn't matter if someone were to get hurt or if he was able to, you know, was, was, did get hurt or something like that. I suppose that plays into it as well. Yeah, and I think, because um, people are saying it, I think, I think Jamal Charlo is a tough fight for him. I, I was surprised in the last couple of weeks to see a couple of people say, I'm like, oh, that's an easy fight now. And I don't see that that way. Right. So, and I've always been a big, Canelo booster from very early in his career and still am in terms of his talents. But, uh, you know, I'm saying that because I don't, I don't think Jamal Charlo is easy for him. And I don't think Benavides is either, but I think both of those guys, maybe not quite to the extent of plant, but I think it's where you run into some of the same problems though, is, you know, if, if it is a tough and tight, you know, even a Jamal Charlo, he's got better experience than a plant. And so does Benavidez by a little bit, not as much as Charlo does, but, but they don't have that. You know, they're still not quite that Canelo level of having faced that opposition and that experience. And, you know, is, is it enough to make that, to make that jump? I, I, you know, it's tough. Benavidez, I, you know, he's got that size with, with the offensive abilities, but he, he always, I, I always, you know, I think most of the times the weight stuff gets overrated by people. But for me, Benavidez fighting at 168, he always looks weak. You know, I've seen him when he's fought at light heavyweight. And he, he looks, even though it's lesser opposition, he just looks much stronger. He looks better. Sure. And, you know, he's fighting. That that would hurt him a bit to me if he's fighting Canelo at 168 pounds. He just he just looks weak to me at that weight and a, a tough fight. You know that that's that that's where that might really might really hurt him, um, but we'll we'll see if, if Canelo wants to go in those directions. I mean, I think that those are fights that PBC can pay him well for in the in the U.S. and and you know Vegas is back in the game now, and and that always right. matters with the site fee because of the people they can bring into town. So you know that that's that adds another element, you know, uh, because Vegas wants those kind of fights that are going to bring people to town. And they're they're willing to pay for them, and you know, with the pandemic, you know, lessening a bit, uh, that's that's even more in play now. Yeah, and it is kind of funny. I mean, some people are acting now 
because it didn't happen. Um, that Benavides is the number one fight. It's, it's not even close. It's hands down. It's like, well, I mean, he fought Darrell and some other veterans, but it's not like he, you know, and let's be honest, he hasn't been the most disciplined guy either. So it is kind of funny how right. just be, it's almost like the opposite, no matter who it was going to be, if he did fight Benavides, oh, dude, he hadn't fought anybody, plant slicker, he didn't want to try to get out boxed, and, you know, or, or even Charlo, you know, a, a year ago, before the Montiel fight, people were like Charlo first, you know. But just looking at that jab, both those guys' jabs, but when you look at the jab of Charlo, now, he hasn't shown the same power at 60 to, from 54. I think that's obvious. And so that would be an interesting thing to see, 168. I'm, I'm assuming he'd still have pop. But, you know, the power wouldn't be there like it was at 54. But, that you know, that is what it is. But he does have a legit power jab. And he will throw his right hand. And he will throw extra punches in an exchange. Um, and he won't just, you know, be trying to just, you know, land a jab here and there. And I think Benavides with the combo punching and his own jab, you know, that will be more exciting and, you know, in some of those fights, you never know. It might be Canelo being, you know, backed up or maybe just in the middle of the ring. Kind of more like a, the Danny Jacobs fights where both those guys were kind of in the middle of the ring. But, I mean, the Charlo jab, if you look at that jab in, in the Derevchenko fight and what that did overall when you can just keep going back to that, um, you know, it definitely is worth fighting. And, you know, some of it is just PVC, whatever. You know, it's kind of like a lot of people said this fight, nobody wants to see this fight, you know. Uh, nobody knows plan, and then you look at the gate, and you're like, are you sure? You sure nobody wanted to see this fight? I mean, it's pretty healthy, dude. You think they're going to sell tickets like this for a fight nobody wants to see? Um, so, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Obviously, uh, anything from the uh, undercard, I mean, Ray, you know, Ray Vargas, considering the time off, looked fairly sharp to me, looked good overall. Um, he was definitely la- you know, landing some pretty explosive shots to the body. He had that one, I think it was the sixth round, where he landed just a bunch of punches, like 71 to 15. Maybe that was the, the body shot uh, comparison, actually, now that I look at my notes. But um, I thought he looked good for the time off. I'm interested, to, you know, to see him at 126. Elvin Rodriguez, or Elvis Rodriguez Romero, that was actually a fun fight. Um, Rodriguez and his uppercuts and combinations, and uh, I think it was, what, the fourth round that he landed that left hand that knocked him down. Good back-and-forth fight, though. And then, obviously, I think it was the left hand that knocked him out. Um, and then Durrell with the uppercut knockout of Hernandez. So we had, I think, the you know, the two-way fight would probably be that Rodriguez-Romero as far as the most two-way fight. Baez was just kind of there. Don't get me wrong. He, he did land a fair amount of punches. I'm looking at it, 215 to 166. Um, what would you think of the undercard? And then we'll get to that... Uh, that ESPN plus main event. That was fun too. Yeah. On the undercard, um, Ray Vargas, I thought, you know, he's been off for like two years. You have to take that into account, but he wasn't in tough with Baez. And I like the way he started. He looked like he was really trying to make a statement, setting down on his punches more, really whipping some hard shots. But, but then I saw from him what I've, I've seen, from some other guys lately that I actually find a little bit frustrating. And actually the week before you saw, even though he's less experienced, you saw it from, you know, Michelle Rivera, like 
you know, kind of, kind of coming out like that. And, and then, and then when the guy won't go taking your foot off the gas and not pressing to still get that stoppage and make a statement, you know, kind of make the marketing statement. I mean, that, that's where, you know, again, boxing is a rough sport and, uh, you know, you want to, the fans like Emmanuel Stewart always said, the fans want to see knockouts and, and, you know, that's why I look for that. And, and I thought Vargas getting this good undercard spot. I, I thought he took myself. I thought he took his foot off the gas after going hard for a few rounds and not able to get by as that. I didn't like that because I thought that was kind of the dull Vargas that we'd been seeing a little bit, you know, when he was with golden boy before the layoff, he wins, but you know, he's tall and then he can keep the guy at range and, and, and he's got a good volume, but he, he doesn't, he doesn't look for the KOs and, and doesn't doesn't really look to get the power on his shots. It looked for me like he was trying to rectify that in the first half of the fight, but then when Baez wouldn't go, he just gave up on it. And and so for me, that I, I didn't care for. But PBC has a lot of fighters around that weight because let's face it, I mean, no matter what some fans that should be educated better on it think, I mean, you know, 122 is an alphabet-created class. I mean, and anybody can move up from 122 to 126. And so why I say that is, you know, you got a big fight coming up with Figueroa and Fulton. Uh, you know, Gary Russell Jr. is still fighting at featherweight, 126. There, there's fights. There's a fights around that area with the with the PBC guys that are good fights. So um, I think Vargas is definitely a player in that. And I think that's why PBC signed him and he just had some injuries and the COVID came up. So I think that's why he got this undercard spot. I mean, I think they definitely have, have plans for him with all these other fighters they've got available. Um, so there's a lot of good matchups there. And, and you got Romero. They have Romero. Of course, they did pick him up when uh, uh, golden boy let him go. Um, so they've, uh, they've got, they've got, fights to that can be made they're good fights so uh i think we will i think we will and i think they will make those i think we'll get to see those i mean i i wouldn't be surprised they talked vargas gary russell jr vargas got this undercard spot gary russell jr is going to need a fight that wouldn't be surprised me if that fight happened and that's a good fight i do like that fight just wish vargas tried to make things a little more intriguing not that he can't win those fights but i wish he tried to make it a, a little more intriguing by getting the stoppage but that's my own criticism there. He obviously dominated the fight and won easily. Durrell, you know, was in with, with not a formidable opponent, and he's 37 now. But he got a big knockout, and, and that does always help. I mean, that was not somebody laying down or anything. You know, Hernandez, we could see that was obvious. That was a huge shot, that uppercut. And then Rodriguez uh, started out slow. I, I thought it looked like he had the better offensive skills. He didn't seem to want to engage with Romero, but – Romero wasn't really was throwing a lot aggressive, but not didn't look like the firepower was really there. And Rodriguez seemed to have that figured out. Was a little bit cautious, but then uh, when he opened up, it was impressive. Looked like he could have done it even a little bit earlier. But I give him credit. You know, when he when he did open up, he got the job done, and that was a big KO. So uh, at least there was there was two good knockouts. But you know, in overall quality. Um, I don't think it was a good undercard. Uh, the main event I thought worked out well in terms of competition and it was an intriguing fight. And, you know, they're going to look at that's what most fans look at. But we're getting a lot of P- PPVs thrown at us. And 
and a lot of it, buyers are hardcore fans. I mean, let's face it, it, it is a lot just the same buyers. I think, I, I do think those kind of fans, you know, they, they know an undercard and appreciate it. I think, I think they got to be given undercards of a, of a little bit better quality, but at least there was two good knockouts on the undercard. So uh, that, that, uh, that does give you something there, but we've got a lot of pay-per-views coming up and uh, I think got to make sure these qualities go all the way through. I think one thing worth, adding on that is uh, with the demise of the casual boxing fan. I mean, you know, we know back in the day, all of us could have been involved in these. You have a lot of people over the house for a pay-per-view or something like that. Those, those days are mostly gone. In other words, you know, there's not, there's not 20, there's not 20 people splitting the pot anymore who are going to all come over for, for these fights to join you with these fights. Um, so it's the same people that got to reach into their pocket and pay for them. So get, you know, make, make sure the quality's there through the card. Yeah. I think I read a report of several or not several years, but a few years back saying it's more like three to five now uh, is their average, what they think. Uh, and that's kind of open for, into, you know, interpretation two to 10 and two to eight. And, you know, but yeah, you're right. As far <laughs> as the Pacquiao Mayweather, those type of names, but, not right. pay-per-view card after pay-per-view card is it a, you know a fight party scenario, um, and that's also <laughs> right. why that's I love right right, but and that's why I do like what the PBC did with uh, putting the the fights in the theater because you know you're looking at like twenty two bucks to, to for right. like three four hours of entertainment that kind of is like all right dude you know it's a little bit you know a little funner it gives you the the crowd activation and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, especially down the stretch here. Um, and, of course, we do know that the main event costs a whole hell of a lot. So we get that. But one way to look at it is they could probably put a smaller fight on there that you're not going to put a bunch of money up, but something that was on a show box or FS1 or something like that where you go, well, this is a good 10-round fight, though. You know, So there is ways to – to wiggle around that because sometimes they do use, you know, not of late with Hearn, but Hearn's been on a co-feature and a stay busy fighter, a tune up. But, you know, some of those guys have decent size guarantees as well. Whereas if you put, you know, some 122 pounders or something like that in there, you could maybe spend $150,000 on both of them and, you, and you, it's going to be a good fight. So, it, you know, I understand that 50 million or whatever, went to the top of the card. So this one's a little bit tougher, but not all of them are that kind of money. So um, it has to be somewhere in between, no doubt about it. Um, casual fans that did see this were entertained. I could kind of tell that just because of the, the way it turned out. But to your point, there was only a handful of rounds uh, in those two fights, two out of three that were what you'd say even competitive. Uh, but yeah, uh, moving on, uh, Michaela Mayer, and uh, ha- Hama Hamauch, something like that is, is uh, uh, who she fought. Uh, Michaela, you know, this was a fun fight to watch, ESPN Plus uh, main event. I was actually up north out of town watching um, the, the, the fight and whatnot for the whole weekend up with my nephews and nieces. And um, so I only watched the main event on stream. Um, so that I didn't get to see the undercard. I was going to go peep some of those fights as far as some prospect stuff. But as far as the main event goes, 
this was a fun fight, and it was fun to see uh, Michaela in a inside scrap. Um, she's very skilled. She can pivot well. She can move well. She's very fundamentally sound, got a good jab, good accurate puncher, sets up her shots. But And she did some of that, don't get me wrong. But from the start, she was just winging that right hand, sometimes, sometimes a little pushy, you know, pushing it a little bit. But she came to fight, and it was a good inside fight. Very, Some of the rounds were really, really close, exciting back and forth. Um, I gave Michaela rounds one and two pretty cleanly. Um, the third round was competitive. I gave that to her opponent. Um, the fourth round was really competitive. Um, you know, you did see uh, Michaela start to pivot a little bit more in there and, and kind of land short punches kind of early and late, whereas the uh, the right hands and left hooks may have won that round in the fourth. Uh, then I thought uh, Michaela kind of opened up some room. The fifth, sixth, and seventh, or no, fifth through eight, I had three out of one. The seventh, I, I was wrong. Her opponent won that. Um, to me, just a better shot. She was kind of flurring to the head and body, like the hooks and these roundhouse right hands, but I did like the little slight adjustment, the little slight pivot movement with the jab. She started throwing the uppercut, uh, did Michaela, the cleaner shots, several just flush hard shots. The ninth round I thought went to her opponent, but she really put a stamp on it. Not only landed the better shots and showing defense, the last, I don't know, minute of the fight or maybe 40 seconds, she was pushing forward, closing hard on that one. So I had it about 7-3, uh, 6-4, maybe 6-3-1, something like that. I didn't have it a draw like I saw some folks. But 100-90 is just like really a 99-91, 98-92 maybe. Um, that's 8-2. to two. I, I don't know. I'd probably give her, a, you know, um, Hama-U, Hama-U, uh, a more rounds than that. Like I said, I could give her up to three or four rounds. Um, what do you think of the main event? Because like I said, we don't get to see her, Michaela, in this type of fight much. And it's fun that we know, okay, not only did you get to do it, you got to do it on a, on a pretty high level in the sport, but also I think she can make some improvements for the next time that type of fight takes place too. I thought it was a, I thought it was a great fight. Um, I saw basically like you did. I, I thought that Michaela Mayer, you know, I, but I think this is one that, you know, we've talked about this before, and I, I think this was, frankly, a good example of one of those. You, you know, remember, a fight, can, a fight can be very competitive, and, you know, the most of the rounds, the vast majority of rounds could still be going to one fighter. I mean, I, I thought that was one of, this was one of those fights. Now, I'm not saying that Hamadou should have only should not have won any rounds. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't looking at it that way, but, um, you know, I thought Michaela Mayer clearly won the fight. I mean, I, I just thought she was landing the harder shots every round and she, you know, she was digging hard to the, hard to the body. I mean, what, what I saw from her in this fight, not only was it an action fight, but what I saw that from her that I had wanted to see was even though a lot of it was up close, still, you know, she's five, nine, real good, size for the weight 130 she was getting leverage on her punches in this fight and and that's what i wanted to see from her because she's got good skills 
and she's got that height where she could get kind of a whip action and and I think she's one of the women that really would benefit from the three minute rounds. I, I think she'd be stopping people. I mean, she's at a disadvantage only having two minutes, but I saw her really get the leverage in this fight and she was putting a lot of hurt on Hamadouche to me. I mean, Hamadouche showed a lot of heart and she was throwing a lot of punches coming forward, but, but those shots had nothing on them compared to Michaela what Michaela Mayer was throwing. And Michaela Mayer was just just ripping apart the body. I mean, she was just banging all kinds of, you know, vicious body shots throughout the fight. And, uh, you know, this is like you say, Chris, and these are even people I respect too, same thing, but it just shows you how what a subjective sport boxing is. You know, this is, this is before we got down the stretch. I mean, I'm watching that fight, and I'm tweeting, and I'm saying, basically seeing it like you were, probably even more so for Mayer, though, that, like, look, this is a great fight. These rounds are competitive. But Michaela Mayer's getting the leverage and banging the body. She's just punishing her. And you've got these other people saying, oh, no, you know, th- no, this fight could, you know, could could be going either way. And Hamadouche is doing all this stuff. And, and so we're going along. You know, this is my narrative and this is the other people's. And what do you get? I mean, it was. I think in the ninth round, yeah, the ninth round, and, and I agreed, and I'm not saying I said it should be stopped, but, I mean, I'm not making this up. This is before our own eyes from the man in the ring with the two fighters. He's going to Hamadouche saying, you're taking too many clean shots. I'm going to stop the fight if you take keep taking all those clean shots. So there's somebody in the ring with the two fighters saying, he's about to stop the fight because Bayer's basically beating her up. Uh, and then you have people on Twitter saying that's outrageous. Well, okay, the judges are all outrageous. The referee who's in the ring with the two fighters is saying he's thinking about stopping the fight. Are, are they all on the take, or maybe are you seeing the wrong? Maybe are you seeing the wrong fight? You know, that that's that's where I think it's funny how people we've all got biases, and I'm just saying that I thought it was a clear mayor win. I, I'm not saying. Amadou shouldn't have gotten any rounds, but I just, to me, that missed the story because they all got on Patricia Morse-Jarman's card that night, and then the next night she was on Canelo Plant, and she had Canelo up 96-94, which I thought was the most reasonable scorecard of the night, on Saturday night. So was she not corrupt? Was she corrupt? (laughs) Was she corrupt Friday night, and then she got non she got non corrupted Saturday right. night. I mean, you, you, I know you agree with that, Chris. You use logic there, but a lot of people don't. I mean, what was it? You know, how how was this conspiracy operating? You know, was she just a top rank conspirator on Friday night, but then they put her back in Saturday, and she doesn't, you know, she she doesn't work for uh, Canelo. I mean, yeah, what is it? What's the, what's the Nevada judging conspiracy, you know? And I'm not saying they don't have biases and things, but I'm not saying that that was a good scorecard Friday night, but it it shouldn't have been the story. I mean, I just didn't think that was fair to Mayer. It was kind of a, an irrelevancy because I, I looked at it like you did. like, And I'm not saying that there weren't some rounds that maybe you couldn't give to Hamadouche, but I did tweet, and I still say this, if you thought she deserved a draw, or one, you're crazy. You're nuts. So, I mean, that would have that would have been the most nutty thing of the night, um, because that was a fight that Mayer clearly won. 
And, and you know, yeah. then you did have a lot of people saying, yeah, she clearly won it, but I didn't like that card. So I'm thinking, okay. And, Chris, you think like I do like this, so we're always on the same page, I feel like. Okay, so then you're admitting that in rounds it was at least 6-4 mayor. So, you know, so was 8-2 mayor insane? <laughs> you, know, you know, you're saying it had to be at least 6-4 right. mayor. But then, did it, so 8-2 mayor becomes insane? becomes just a non-rational, corrupt human being. I mean, it doesn't really make sense. So, and again, I'm not saying giving her no rounds was, you know, great, but it was competitive. I'm, I'm very competitive. Great. I thought it was a great fight. Hamadou showed a lot of heart. You know, she was laying a lot of punches, but she just, you know, wasn't getting the rounds to me. She was getting hit with the harder shots, the harder, cleaner shots. And, you know, Mayer was controlled. Mayer was in control of that fight. Like you said, she started then pivoting, giving herself a little distance as the fight went on. I mean, there just was no doubt she was in control of that fight and landing the harder shots. So I thought she should just get credit for a really good winning performance. And then, you know, you had Eddie Hurd after the fight saying that Hamadouche won. Now, I mean, that's not, that is not, <laughs> you know, that, that yeah, is totally. not. He, he's he's her promoter, and he said she won. And people are saying, "See, Eddie Hearn says she won." He's disgusted, <laughs> and he, that would have been the nuttiest scorecard at the house if uh, if she won. And Eddie Hearn's her promoter. What do you what do you think? You think Eddie Hearn's got an unbiased opinion on this fight? I mean, come yeah. on, come on, people. You know, be be real, be realistic here. It just look, everybody's got biases. That's what it comes down to. I mean, humans. Humans all have biases, and that's why when boxing, you know, it's not like football or basketball where you score points. I mean, it's it's subjective, so you, you know you get a lot of you get a lot of disagreement. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like I said, not giving her one or two, you know, not even one round or, or you know, or even a round is is you know, of course that's bad, but yeah, you gotta well, keep I mean, it I will... uh, in perspective. Exactly. It was bad, but you just, it just wasn't, it wasn't to me the spot for like some other agenda trying to prove some point, you know, mayor won the fight, you know, the, the, they got the winner, right? Yeah, definitely. Like pretty clearly, no doubt about it. Um, any other items you want to talk about from the weekend before we get into, uh, Mungia and Rosado, a, a, a fight that, on boxing Twitter, the hardcore fight scene, just because of what Gabe has done recently with the Jacobs fight, even though it was horrible, but a lot of people thought he won or whatever. And then the knockout, um, and Mungia, you know, generally an all action type guy who, you know, actually has some skills to, to set up his punches and whatnot. But anything else you want to talk about before we jump into some of these fights? No, I think we, we completely covered last weekend as far as, the, I think, the, the most relevant, most important action. So I'm ready for uh, ready to go into this weekend with the Munguia Rosado, and then we got the Benavides Davis. Yeah, and um, um, it's what, – what, let me see here real quick. Um, we The odds for the main event between – Munguia and Rosado. Um, I'm on ProBoxingOdds.com, which is a great pace be, uh, site because it kind of yeah. gives you such a variety of odds. 
across the That's board. a great page. Every, everybody should yep. everybody should check that out periodically. Definitely. And I'd say the lowest right now, or, yeah, the lowest as far as an underdog, Gabe's at plus 400. Otherwise, it's plus 425, plus 450. I, I see a, a handful of 500s. And then uh, FanDuel actually does have plus 550. So for the folks out there that think Mungia is uh, overrated um, or whatever, just not experienced enough to beat a veteran guy like this. Now, Gabe is coming down in weight, and I wonder, because hasn't he been up there for a little bit, or was it just that one fight? Um, no, he's been, he's been fighting at it was just that one fight for a while. No, he, no, yeah. he has been fighting at one fight. Recently, he, he, uh, with his fights with yeah, Jacobs and then uh, uh, Beck, uh, he, he fought those right. fights at 168. So, and, and he, yeah, I think he's he's been doing that. You know, of course, he had started out as a one junior middleweight, 154, and then fought at middleweight a lot, 160. But he's fought a lot at 168. Yeah, now he's back at a middleweight. So I figured since you had mentioned Chris, I pulled up my DraftKings and. I see that there has been some money on Rosado because on DraftKings, I Munguia was, I think he was a minus 1,000. And now tonight at this time, he's now a minus 700 and Rosado's a plus 500. So like you said, there, there's been a big club of Munguia's overrated. They've got a chance to put their money where their mouth is here. But, you know, Munguia is obviously still a, still a really big favorite. So, I've had to think about that too because I've I've liked Munguia more than most people. I, I think you, you see some things he's added to his game with Morales, but it looks very mechanical. I've said this before. I, he's a guy, even though he had flaws, I, I was kind of okay, frankly, with what he did with his father. I mean, he just really unloaded with his power, and uh, he would knock guys out, knock them down. Maybe he was open some, but. I thought he was on track and, you know, they started bringing different people in, you know, brought somebody in for a bit before Morales and it went to Morales. And, you know, I, I see where Morales has done some good things with him, but it, it's just a little mechanical. It doesn't look natural to me. Um, I figured they'll keep doing that. You know, it does that give Rosado enough of an opening um, a little bit tricky, but I'm thinking, no, uh, you know, even that fight with Beck, I mean, Rosado, it was a great win. He caught him with a bomb, exciting, tremendous knockout. Give him all the credit in the world. But, you know, he, he was, he looked like he was about on his way out before, <laughs> shortly before that. So Yeah, he was in trouble. Before landing yeah, he, he was in trouble. He looked like he was about on his way out, and he landed that bomb. So a lot of times I have learned that you, you do have to take that into your analysis because it's not a situation where he was like dominating the fight or something like that. And, and as you correctly pointed out, the Jacobs fight was very close, no argument there, but it was just a horrible fight where nothing was going on. So again, wasn't like he took control of the fight and did a lot of good things in that fight. I mean, I, I like Rosado. I mean, look, you know, there were other efforts recently he's given to where he was very close you know, against Soljeki, uh, you know, he, he dropped them and, and was fairly lost, was close. I thought he 
got a bad decision against Martin Murray in the UK. I thought he should have gotten that decision. So, you know, he's, he's had some fights where in recent years where he's competed with, with, you know, upper, upper level, upper level fighters enough that, you know, he, he did break into the transnational rankings at 168 at Penn and he deserved it, you know, after, after the Beck KO. but now again, right back down at 160 and, Again, with I think overall the too many weight classes, there there's some openings in some of these weight classes. They at 160 and 168, you know, to to kind of make some noise just because of the the lack of depth as much as anything. But uh, I don't know. I just don't know if if yeah, dropping back down to 160 pounds now. You know, he's he's a guy in his mid 30s. That 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 is usually tough. Uh, there can be some exceptions here and there. The most notable being Donaire in recent years, but that's the exception. I mean, the rule is you get older and you try to drop back down. It's not, it's not going to work out when you got it. Cause you just from the, and he didn't look good at the higher weight either, you know, yeah. like it had been different yeah. if those weights fit him nicely, you know, like it is game, but they didn't fit him nicely right. at all. No, true. It's, it's like, you're right. Rosado, is coming off a good performance, not a bad performance at an upper weight. Good point. So um, that's sometimes right when, when it makes even less sense to cut back down. Um, I, I, I'm going to think Munguia's power is going to be too much uh, for Rosado because I don't think Munguia is really going to have any trouble hitting him. So I, I just think, and he's got power. I think Munguia, the power is real, especially in the left hook, but it's, he's got a decent right hand. Fit, so, um, power is going to going to unload. I, I think that's what the odds makers are looking at, and you got to look at them first. Like we say, doesn't mean they they get it right every time, but they're right more than you are, and and uh, you can't <laughs> you can't ignore it. So you got to look at your spots where you're gonna you're gonna try to say no. I, I see something else here, and you know people. Will, I think you're right. People will do it here. A lot of people don't believe in Mungia, so I, I imagine that these odds probably do get closer by the time Saturday night comes that Rosada will get some money, but uh, it was kind of a wider line than I would have expected on Munguia. Um, but I taking this one over, I just think, you know, being closer to his prime, like he is and with the power he's got, he should be able to get Rosado out of there. Um, you know, Rosada is getting to an advanced age at this point, even though he's coming off some, some good performances, but uh I think I believe in Munguia more than most people as well, too, just ability overall. So uh, I, I think he's got flaws, but I think people kind of underestimate him, and including maybe even a, to, to some degree his own promotional outfit, because I'll, I, I will be the first to say they, they seem to be being awful cautious with him um, for, for whatever reason. But, but you know, he, he, is a, he is a young guy still. So, you know, forget the alphabet belt stuff. He's a young guy. So, I just think they're kind of kind of building him up in that manner, and and I think he probably takes another step forward and just gets Rosado out of there. Yeah, and to your point, looking into it on average, the Rosado odds started back in October 26th at plus 600, and now the average is 460. Uh, when I'm looking at it uh, on the end of that uh, pro boxing odds, they have. They don't have, like, the round-by-round and knockout and all that much. But, yeah, I mean, I I do – I'm with you. I think uh, it it was three fights now, like you mentioned. I just double-checked to make sure 
it was three fights at 168. Now you're coming down. And you're right. I mean, to your point, it's like, you know, it's 30, this is his 38th fight now. Uh, he's 25 years old. Um, it is time to have him step up more than they've had. I thought at 54, there were some, you know, Dennis Hogan, that was a tight fight. Uh, Inoue, um, Liam Smith, of course, you know, how he uh, got it originally with that uh, Saddam Ali. You know, he's fought some decent fighters um, at 160, you know, uh, Gary O'Sullivan, whatever, you know. That's uh, Sullivan that kind of gained a little hardcore uh, fight fan type of stuff, but it was just a way to move him. Torino Johnson, um, yeah, I mean, I have, I got to admit, I haven't been as high on him as you. I think we've had this uh, discussion in the past, but I do think his overall, not just power, but I just think the volume over time, he does throw a good jab. He, like I mentioned, he does, he's an accurate puncher. Um, the, he doesn't, you know, a while back, sometimes he'd flurry out of control. Other times it was like, yeah, I mean, this is what you want from the guy. He's got a guy hurt, you know, time to throw those combinations. So, um, he was a little leakier on defense, not to say that he's super tight on it now, but it does seem like they've at least tried to address it. Um, and, you know, Gabe, he's fought a lot of guys man, over his career. You see, you know, 26 and 13 really doesn't do it justice, but he is now 35, 36 years old. Um, you know, we know that he does get cut. He does get knocked down a lot. He just, you know, I hope he just puts on a, a, a fun fight. You know, at times he's a come forward fighter, sometimes in the middle of the ring. A lot of times, though, you will see him try to box on the outside minorly, like even that Golovkin fight. Like when he faces a come forward fighter, it is tough for him to rage forward there, and, and he's never had, although he just scored a highlight reel knockout, he's never had, you know, the a fair amount of uh, punching power per se. He really hasn't. I mean, not to take anything away from him because, like I said, he just knocked some dude out cold. But um, as you mentioned, he was pretty banged up in that. I think taking that knee was very smart in that fight, and more fighters should do that in general. But I'm with you. I think he's just going to – the youth, the combination punching, I think it will just catch up to him whether it hurts him and he goes down and gets knocked out or just – TKO because he's worn down, punch resistance, you know, depleting, and maybe just cuts, you know, in general. You can definitely cut him. Um, I know he took some time off, had some surgeries, but it's just a matter of time to where they'll pop back open. So I'm with you. I think he'll maybe a late TKO, um, but also, uh, you know, a fairly strong possibility um, for just a clean decision win as well. Um, and then David Benavidez, late notice, uh, Chiron Davis. I'm hoping that'll just be a, a fun fight to watch. I'm assuming Showtime's doing some sort of Canelo plant, you know, uh, replay on that. That's usually what they do a week after, uh, his brother, Jose Benavidez, uh, junior returns against Francisco Emmanuel Torres. Francis Bartholomew. Whoa. I didn't, I didn't know he was fighting. He's fighting. Like I said, I think they're going to have, uh, I don't know how they're going to line it up, if it's going to be first or between fights or whatever, but I'm assuming they'll have that Caleb Plant and Canelo fight rematch. Um, we also have, and here's another one that's just like Kid Gallahan against Kiko Martinez 
And no, this isn't from 2015 or 13 or 16. This is right now uh, for an IBF, uh, you know, title. Kiko has just been passed around so often. Uh, Terry Harper does return in a fight against uh, Baumgartner or something like that. I think that's her name. Yep, that's her name. Um, so we have some other, you know, fights, you know, that that are out there. What do you think? Do you think this is just kind of get in, get out, try to land some big punches and get Davis out of there for Benavidez? Um, what do you What do you think? You think Kyron can give him at least a good fight uh, and make it interesting, you know, for us at home watching? No, I don't. I, don't. I, I mean, I know it's a, a late notice opponent, but. You know, the Yuskata guy fight wasn't good either. This is, again, talked about it last week, and it, this applies to just too many weight classes. I mean, because, again, we're doing this 168 thing. And, and look, you know, Benavides is the, really the number one contender guy now in that class with Plant Boss. He clearly is the number one. You know, with Canelo now, everybody's champ in a 168, if you're going to recognize a 168. Um, but there, But there's just no depth. So, you know, Benavides, because, again, it's one of those deals like, you know, who uh, there's not that many guys you, you could have Benavides fight. <laughs> you know, Canelo and Plant just fought last weekend. Uh, you know, even if you were going to go theoretically, there, there's not that many great matchups you could be pulling out out of the top ten. So um, I'm not saying there's not better ones, but there's not a lot out there. So Davis ends up getting this assignment. I mean, he – you know, he was in there with Darrell in a boring fight that was, you know, kind of close. But, you know, Darrell's 37. He's at the end of the line anyway. Um, you know, I've seen Davis before. Never never really jumped out that impressive. Uh, I, I look at an example like, um, you know, Ronald Ellis, to me, really came motivated and really prepared to try to win when he fought Benavides. And, uh, you know, he, he got stopped but gave a good account for himself. But I'm just saying, I thought he brought a real good version of himself. So Benavides got some good work there, uh, more than you would expect it. And the, the stoppage is impressive. I didn't take anything away from Benavides because I thought it was a real good motivated version of Ellis that showed up. Um, why I point that out is that's one of the things I'm looking at in this fight. I'm like, you know, can Kyron Davis even bring what Ellis could a lot of people would be thinking yes myself i'm thinking no that's like one of the first things i'm looking at i'm thinking you know i I don't think he can bring more than ellis i think matter of fact he'll bring less so uh i would think that this is an even easier fight for benavides and and this to me should be this one should be over as soon as benavides really opens up to me some sometimes he gets a little bit cautious like i said i think he he looks a little weak at this weight at times and, and, and you know, almost seems like he's got to make sure he paces himself. Uh, but I think when he opens up with his size and power, and I just think Davis is really just not on his level at all. Davis just isn't a legit top 10 opponent, even in a weak division. So uh, I, I don't see this one as, I, don't, I really don't see this one as being competitive. So, uh, I think that uh, I think Benavides should should get him out of there as soon as he really opens up in this one. Yeah, I'm with you too. I mean, sometimes you know what he did against Darrell. Darrell did pop back, look better at least, you know. But he had had that long layoff, so you got to put into that, you know, as well. And you know, 
maybe he's in pretty good shape, but he definitely wasn't in camp um, like he was for that one. So like full camp or whatever. So I agree with you. Um, I think that, you know, it's just a, just going to kind of crop, you know, dot the I's, cross the T's, get in there, get out and look for a big fight. You know, whether that comes, uh, you know, Canelo next or, or what, we'll see. Um, any other items that you want to talk about, uh, involving this weekend or just in general that you want to get off your chest? Now, that should be about it. Like, as you, just as you mentioned, yeah, Galahad, who has looked good lately, um, Martinez, that's garbage. I mean, that's just garbage. You know, that Galahad, legit top 10, Kiko Martinez is just opponent level, uh, at this point, uh, should, should, shouldn't even be in this one. Um, that's a time, that's what I call a time waster. So yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's not something we need to see. Um, you know, I don't even know. I don't even know why Hearn's making that fight because, you know, he's got these other British featherweights. He's obviously going to ma- match Galahad up with, I mean, let's, you know, let's get to the fight. Not there wouldn't even be other matchups outside of the Brits, but I mean, at least some of those are decent matchups. So, you know, let's get to it. I mean, I don't even to me, I don't know where this Kiko Martinez fight came from, and no, nobody needs it. So uh, that's a that's a mismatch. And Galahad's not a huge puncher, but he's sharp and he hits you a lot, and uh, they're sharp. So he should uh, he should bust Martinez up before the the final bell on that one and get him get him stopped but but that's a that's a time waster otherwise just you know we're not we're not getting the pay-per-view numbers released you know a lot of people try to say they don't care and things like that but hey it matters for the popularity of sport it matters for the marketing of the sport and what fighters have marketing leverage which let's face it like it or not it's going to have a lot to do with what fights are made so i was curious to you hadn't heard anything yet how uh, saturday night ended up doing and uh, you know i hope I'm not saying this will be the case, but you know, I hope with Plant, you know, now he has made a a, a big uh, a big payday, you know, an, an eight figure uh, payday. I hope I hope though that you know, obviously he's going to keep. He says he's going to keep continuing fighting. You know, I hope he doesn't go in too soft. I mean, I know he just got stopped, but in other words, I'd like to see the career develop. You know, you, you think of those examples where a guy got in a good payday position, maybe had some talent, but wasn't quite ready like we were saying. And then after they get the payday, they they do the same thing even worse. In other words, you know, they don't step it up. And and then too much time goes by and they don't get developed. I, I hope we don't see that with Plant. You know, I hope he takes a reasonably tough fight. Like we're talking about Darrell, like, you know, really a, a perfect fight for him would, and, and, you know, Anthony Darrell might have to accept he's not going to get the Canelo fight. Uh, if he doesn't, you know, that, that would be an interesting fight that at least would be a stiff enough of a test for Plant to come back with to develop. Um, and for Darrell, that, you would think that that would be a pretty good payday. So, uh, and, and at least a guy who's, who's a, more of a name now. So, uh, you know, that, that might, but I, I hate to see Plant just start taking on soft touches and uh, never, never really developing, you know, what abilities he's got. Yeah, that's that's fair. Yeah, definitely. That Darrell would be. I think that's a good spot to go. I mean, it it lines up to make a lot of sense, and uh, you know, maybe they put that on a, a Fox uh, main event or something like that. Who knows? All right. Well, I appreciate you uh, calling in, 
and uh, you have yourself a good night. Enjoy the fights. Hopefully we, uh, you know, get a fight to just kind of pop off, you know, this weekend. And we got yeah. some good fights. Maybe that, maybe that Munguia-Rosado will be a war. Who knows? That is what's good about boxing. I mean, nobody can deny. You, ne- you never know. And that's that's one of the reasons we watch the fights. So it's, it's, not a, it's not out of the question. So let's hope we get something good this weekend. There you have it. You have yourself a good night. We'll talk next week. All right, Chris, thanks for having me as always. Have a good night. Yes, sir. Have a good one. Take care. All right. That was always good to talk to John. Like I mentioned, a great boxing mind. Um, yeah, we're going to go to Portland in here just a second. I did get some messages. Okay, so plant and so as. <laughs> I don't. I, I would say who they were, but you can't tell by their uh, Twitter account. But a lot of people are like saying the only interest, or a lot of people. I should say a lot of people. <laughs> um, a lot of what this message is saying is the only interest of people in general. And case in point was this weekend. This, you know, if it, if this was better, Bib or this was Bivol or even Joe Smith at 175, you know, guys with real power, although I think Benavides has power. Um, I already mentioned how Charlo doesn't have, you know, the same power he had at 154, and assumingly 168, his power wouldn't get any better, right? Now, he does have to cut to make 160, so you never know. Maybe it'll be – maybe that will help him carry what he does have at 160. Let's not act like that jab is not a power jab, but – they're basically saying the only thing that, you know, they're going to be able to make any money off of is a fight with better be ever Bivol. And I got, you know, I mean, and they went on to say you saw the difference between, you know, and this is just on some fanboy stuff. I'm not trying to get too deep into this one, but you see the difference between that massive crowd, you know, to watch Billy Joe, John, Billy, uh, Billy Joe Saunders, the guy that, you know, not at super middleweight, but at middleweight did fight Andy Lee and, and Eubank Jr. and Lemieux and stuff like that. And so that's why the people came out. And uh, they couldn't do it at a stadium and all that. And that's just, this is what I'm talking about. Like, And I've seen this account on Twitter. I don't follow it or anything like that. Well, I don't now. But it's it just, it, this is like, come on, dude. Like, I get it. Like, the, 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 the campaign to just hate on the PVC no matter what, just gets ridiculous because, you know, go back and look at the Jacobs fights. Uh, that was like a, a large ass gate, like eight million. Kovalev was right around that, eight or nine million. I think it was nine million for that Billy Joe Saunders fight. And that's the thing when things do well at gates and the crowd, you know, gets into it and, and all that. It's usually before the PBC came in. No matter who it was, it was celebrated. It was always celebrated, like, wow, you know, they, they, they got a big crowd. They're, you know, generating these large, you know, revenues and, and all that. And person is just like a Steve, like back years ago, before Steve Kim blocked me, <laughs> um, he used to retweet anything, well, not anything, but a lot of stuff, you know. Used to have a podcast, this person, I think this is the one, like I said, I don't know the names. Uh, but 
It's like, dude, like the plant. Okay, so it's been reported anywhere from 17 to 18 million. I've heard 18 million at the live gate. I've heard 17. Someone actually, Lance Pugmeyer said it gener, uh, generated 17 million, um, which you know, like the Canelo Golovkin did like 26 or 28 the first one. Then the second one still did like 23 or 25. There was a little drop, but still over 20 million is my point. And I remember a fight like Mayweather and uh, Madonna did like 15 or 16 at the gate. I mean, the Wilder Fury part uh, two did almost 17, I believe it was, or was it almost 18? One of the two. Just the whole point is, you know, we're talking about like this gate right here. If it's whether it's 17 or 18 million, these gates just don't like with inflation, right? Obviously, from 2007 till now, there's a lot of inflation at that time. Prices go up and all that. But you know, Oscar and them because of the gate, you know, did you know almost 18 million? I mean, in 2013, Mayweather and Canelo did 20 million. But like I said, the ticket prices went up, the pay-per-view price went up and all that. But my point is to sit there and say, so Charlo and Ben, so you're telling me Benavidez, a Mexican-American fighter who has, a, you know, when people Google the highlight rules of Benavidez, and then his, his cool kind of laid-back character in the interview, but also tell you like it is, and just like I said, the highlight reel on this guy to sit there and say it's going to not sell as well as a Bivol fight or a better Bia fight. I want to see all these fights, but why don't we just deal reality? 17 or 18 million at a gate probably puts it, you know, I'd say for sure in the top 10 live gates of all time. I mean, this fight right here did more, the gate did more live gate than any. UFC fight ever, ever. Now, I'm not trying to rip UFC. I'm just trying to put stuff in perspective. When you're a top 10 gate-ish, somewhere in there, top 10, I mean, I'm looking, one, two, three, four, five. There's probably, yeah, it's probably like eighth or something. I don't even know. But you're in the top 10 of gates all time, and you're sitting there saying Canelo Plant didn't do good because it's not in the stadium. That's what we've been trying to tell some of these folks, that when, you, when you're in a stadium, you've got to sell the tickets for cheaper. And I love stadiums. Shout out to the UK. We've been starting to get our stadium fights over here now, too. It's a beautiful thing. But if Vegas is going to pay you whatever, five or ten or more million dollars just to have the fight there, then you can generate $17 million or $18 million at the gate. Like I said, this stuff used to be celebrated. You know, we used to put sides away. Well, first of all, there wasn't built-up sides that were so obvious. I think social media and the podcast game has kind of exploited that. You got to actually hear the media's actual true feelings or, or their true colors in some sense, right? But come on, dude. You're saying Charlo? and uh, So both these guys are undefeated. A Mexican-American on either Cinco de Mayo or Mexican Independence Week, and you don't think that'll sell? You think Better is going to do better than that? You don't – You, I mean, Charlo's going to be – and Benavides can talk shit too, by the way. Charlo, you don't think he's going to get uh, some attention off of this? You don't think 
that's going to sell pretty well? I mean, this is just so silly. You know, so many people on Twitter said, oh, this is a shitty fight. Why? Why? This is a worthless fight. Then it does a top ten in gate. But the Billy Joe Saunders was celebrated because it's a huge crowd, which it should be celebrated. We celebrated here because it's freaking awesome. Anytime you can create a live gate like that, whether it's at a stadium, an arena, it's just the visuals are awesome, right? It just, come on, guys. What the hell? Okay, and then one more thing. Um, breaking down some of the odds for the uh, uh the opponents, possible opponents for Canelo. My bookie, right? This is from my bookie. Uh, Benavidez right now plus 125 as an underdog. Golovkin plus 200. Jermel Charlo plus 400. Smith Jr. plus 450. Bivol 500. Andre 500. Better be of 650 because so many people know him, I guess. That's kind of crazy. Murata plus 900. And Us- Usman. Uh, plus 1,500, that's right, I forgot to, to throw him into the mix, I guess. But um, it's just like some of these messages, dude. Like, seriously, dude, so you're saying nobody cared about this at all? Then why the hell can they, why'd they sell so many tickets then? And also, real quick, before we get to Portland here, uh, this is from Ring Magazine. Um, this is Eddie Reynoso on working with Al Heyman. We did a deal directly with Al, and everything has gone really well so far there's plans with him um we hope to continue to work with him there's big fights we can make and then you know he went on to say charlo and benavides but also mentioned bibble and our you know uh in 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 better be and whatnot it wasn't just that um so yeah i mean this this looks like you know a nice little relationship here and and it does take the promoter part out of it uh that you don't have to like, if he were to sign a deal with Bob, Bob would get a, a, a fair chunk of split of that uh, as long as it was, you know, signed like he normally does for pay-per-views. That's extra money coming out of Canelo's pocket. That's extra money to uh, cover the balance overall to, to, to try to actually get in the red. But um, we'll see on these, you know, whether it's 400, 500, 600, 700,000, I don't know. But if you do a gate that size, they said that they basically had to break 500,000 something. So let's say 525, 550, that was going to break it. Uh, or that was going to break even, I should say, not break it. Um, but anyway, let's go out to Portland, 503. By the way, a minute left of the live stream. Anyone listening to the browser right now, you got a little time. you got a minute, a little less than a minute to call in, 646. Three eight one four nine nine zero. That's six four six. Three eight one four nine nine zero. That'll be the number to call because the show is going to cut you off if you're listening to it in the browser. It only has a two hour live stream window. All right, we still have a bunch of current fight news coming up. Um, and of course the boxing Twitter segment and all that good stuff. Let's go out to Portland five zero three. What's going on, man? You got to be feeling good here on a on a Tuesday afternoon after what happened in the ring on last Saturday. Yeah. 
Hey, it was worth it. It was it was worth the price. It was worth the the, the results. So I, I'm just happy, like you said, Chris. You know, over here, man. You know, the, thank you for letting me play the anthem long, having uh, having this shine for uh, you know for the Mexicanos tonight, bro. Because uh, well, what happened last uh, you know Saturday was awesome, man. And uh, for that, you know what I mean? Because that that's just historic, man. That's historic for all of us. And uh, um, but man, and uh, but as far as uh, Plant, uh, if I could say, uh, you know, I just hope he doesn't um. Uh, like uh, go missing after this, you know. Like uh, sometimes I feel like after they get huge, these PBC fighters when they get uh, huge uh, paydays, they go kind of missing for a while. So I would like, you know, even though they get knocked out, I would just still like to see them uh, sometime late uh, next year. So you know, don't you know, don't let time you know, kind of skip by. You know, like like a lot of these other fighters do. You know, so. Um, uh, but as far as uh, uh, Canelo. I know a lot of people out there want the the Benavides and uh, what's the what's the other PBC to the Char, the Charlos and uh, you know I you know those are fun fights I, I, you know but um you know if I could say something man uh, I think Canelo uh, at this point he's uh, those are you know you know obviously those are the ones the fan the fans want but I, I just feel like Canelo's going to go after like like what legacy like legacy shit so I think he's going to go to uh, like Bivol or uh, uh, was that Better be? like I just feel like he's going to or maybe try to uh, get Ward out of retirement. Everybody seems to be talking about that. Uh, that seems to be a hot topic, out of, you know, right now. So uh, out of out of everything, you know, um, I th- I just believe that's what's going to happen next. Uh, I-, I would definitely like to see Benavides. If if I could pick, it would be Benavides next. Because man, I would love to see that fight, man. A Mexico, a Mexico versus Mexico fight, man. I think and uh, and seeing the size of Benavides, you know, uh, his um, reach advantage, and he actually comes into the to the fight with power. So. Uh, it, it would be scary, you know, uh, you know, uh, for Canelo. So, uh, but man, that, that that would be my uh, pick for Canelo. But uh, I just feel like he's gonna go for uh, the the legacy, uh, the uh, the legacy route. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, like I, like you said, uh, it's historic. Uh, <laughs> it was a damn cool event. Everybody was there, and um, I was gonna say about the uh, there was a. The funny, uh, the the translator at the end was funny. Uh, if anybody caught that, he kind of yeah. fucked up there. <laughs> uh, you know, like, getting finish, his, uh, finish what I said, dude. Yeah, yeah. Canelo's getting good good on his English, and you know, just, um, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, checking these fools. You know what I mean? Like it's about time. You know, sometimes these fucking uh, hor- these these translators are horrible. But and also too, man, if something came up. Uh, if I can mention real fast, uh, something came up online, and uh, I believe you saw it too, Chris, and uh, it was that uh, little moment um, in one of the rounds where uh, Plant and Canelo were kind of having a, a talk yeah, with each other. Yeah, they were talking to each right? other. Right, where they were kind of, yeah, like Plant was kind of being too, uh, too – in my honest opinion, that was a little too respectful for my taste. I just thought, you know, seeing that made me think, okay, this is why he got knocked out. This is – you know, you don't, uh, you don't really, you know, you should have been going in there thinking like, you know, like a dog, you know what I mean? Like, like thinking nothing else, you know, tearing this dude apart, not respecting him, you know, fighting, fighting in the inside dirty, fighting in the outside dirty, you know, do everything you can to get this fucking win. But, you know, I, I just thought seeing, seeing that little moment. Well, he I was probably like, oh, okay, won that maybe. round, though. The, it was the was eighth it round. That one? He probably won that eighth, ninth round. Yeah, he probably won those two rounds. But I know what you're saying. He, you know, that happens more you know what than I mean? we think. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Like, fighters talking to each other. But this one was interesting because we actually caught it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but, like, what what, 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 what plan was saying, though, like, you know, like, 
oh, I respect your skills. And it's like, yo, this is a good fight. And, you know, what What else did he say? He said something like, like I'm not bad for, like, 21 and 0, right? Like, huh? Like, trying to get his, like, like you know, his uh, kind of his, uh, uh, what's, what's that, uh, uh, what's that word? Uh, like, his attention, you know what I mean? Like, trying to, just trying to get his, like, uh, his focus. I don't know, man. It's just too, it's just too. Uh, too polite for me. Uh, I would have just told him to, you know, you got to think like, you know, you got to go in there as a dog, man. That's it. <laughs> you know, I mean, nothing else. Try to go for a kill, man. And uh, I, I, that's just my take. But, uh, but uh, yeah, man, as far as Zach, uh, what's his name? Canelo. Canelo did it. Uh, one for Mexico. And uh, and speaking about Mexico, man, we got another one this weekend. It's just, uh, what's his name? Jaime um, Munguia. Uh, what's his and uh, what the fuck is his name? Uh, damn, Chris, can you help me out real quick? Uh, Gabe Rosado. Gabe Rosado, thank you, Chris. Uh, Gabe Rosado, right now. Uh, you know Mexico, Puerto Rico. Uh, you know I, I got Jaime McGee. You already know Mexico all day. Um, uh, that that's gonna be a fun scrap. And also Benavides, right? Benavides, uh, Kyron Davis. Uh, you know. Uh, Benavides should get get the win. Uh, never, I've never heard of Kyron Davis before. Uh, this should be a fun fight. Also, his uh, brother Jose Benavides uh, scrapping it up too on the undercard uh, against Emmanuel uh, Francisco Emmanuel uh, Torres. Uh, so that that should be a fun fight too. And also too, man, before I get out of here, man, Chris, did you get to see that uh, this uh, the uh, the stare down between uh, Jojo Diaz and uh, Haney? Um, the, the did you hear that? Uh, like, it was like, the press did they have a presser? Press? Yeah, yeah, the, the presser. Did you get to oh, see yeah, that? yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. I kind of forgot dude, there man, was so many I, press conferences that day. I, I, right, yeah. man. It's, yeah, it's, dude, that's a lot of fights going on. And uh, but uh, man, what, what like this fight, man? I just gotta say, JoJo Diaz. This is a dangerous fight for JoJo Diaz, man. This guy, this man, Dave, Haney looks like a like a just. A, a different weight class compared to this dude, man. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm wishing uh, Jojo Diaz the best. You, know, you already know Mexico, and uh, you know it should. Uh, that uh, man, I don't know. That, that hopefully, you know, uh, Jojo Diaz comes in ready for that one, man, because that dude looked pretty, uh, pretty big there, man. And uh, but yeah, man. As far as that, I don't got too much else to say, Chris. Uh, you know, I just want to thank you for having me on, man. Uh, viva Rope Dope and Viva Mexico, cabrones. Sir, thanks a lot, Portland Josue. Having a great weekend, um, no doubt about it. Yeah, the legacy. The thing is, he can do. The thing about legacy is, he can do all that. He can do 175. He doesn't necessarily have to bounce up there right now because those guys aren't gonna. You know, they're gonna be here for the next year or two at least. I mean, better be have started. Both of them kind of started at, a, at an older age because of their amateur group excuse me, amateur career, but, you know, the amount of money that they're going to offer for Better Biev compared to the money that they're going to offer for Benavides and Charlo. Um, and, you know, I think those are better fights than Kalen Smith. I know he had a belt, but that doesn't, you know what I mean? They're just as good as Billy Joe Saunders, and I know he had a belt, but look who he got the belt from. So, all these fights kind of mix in there. I'm not saying, oh, he's not undisputed. Of course he is. He already accomplished that. But Benavides and Charlo are just as good as Callum Smith. 
you know, really. I mean, Callum Smith had a really close fight right before that. Um, now, he beat uh, a little while ago, he beat George Groves, and that was a nice win. But Groves was, you know, on his last leg. He, he you know, so I think there's still some, some quality. My point is there's some quality fights there, and he can still fight Bibble and better be it. Um, I mean, think about that. Let's say he fights Benavides, Charlo, and then somebody else, whether that's Golovkin coming up to 168, whether in a year from now it's David Morrell, who knows. But just fight two to three more fights, then go all the way up to 75, and then campaign there instead of just jumping up. Because jumping up and down after a while, he doesn't make 160 with ease, that's for sure, you know. Um, So... And it's not like there's a lot of fat on the guy. You know what I mean? He's in terrific shape. So to get these fights out of the way for more money, it's still legacy. These are undefeated guys. I mean, he'd be on a string of like one, two, three, four, five. Five out of the last six would be undefeated guys that he beat. And then go up and fight, you know, Bibble, better be of and Joe Smith, by the way, too, Jr. So – Either way, I'm not going to get picky and be like, oh, you have to do this, you have to do that. But um, if the zone couldn't offer the same amount of money for a plant fight, I doubt they're going to offer more because plant has at least been, you know, promoted on Fox for the last couple of years. So, and you could tell by the gate that that means, you know, that's going to be a little bit more. So it it will be interesting. Um, I still think these are legacy fights for the time period because he'd be beaten guys that are younger than him, guys that are undefeated, you know what I mean? Um, But either way, you know, whatever he chooses to do, I I could care less as far as that goes. But I think it just makes sense in general to kind of get three or four more fights done at 68 so he can literally be like, hey, there's nobody else here for me to fight. Then go up to 75 and campaign for a long time. Now, someone messaged me that we didn't get to – go all the way to this last week and uh, I got a, a message actually right for the or today during the show or at, before the show during the show um, and they're all a lot of a fair amount of folks just seem that they think you know Stevenson and Veldez is next um, and I hope it is but it's probably not going to be I mean even you know probably almost over a week ago um, Benavides, or uh, not Benavides, but, um, you know, Bob Arum said it himself. I mean, the headlines on BoxingScene.com, Arum eyes Beldez Navarrete and Stevenson Burchelt with the winners fighting each other. That's what top-ranked CEO Bob Arum says. Um, so it's like a mini, you know, tournament in a sense. And, and the idea of that, you know, we can suggest it to the fighters, he says, but ultimately, it'll be the fighters and their management who decide who's next. He, you know, he said, I'd like to do that and then match them up. And, you know, as long as it happens in 2022, I'd be okay with that. I don't think that's ducking anybody or anything like that. You know, they could make a, a decent gate number there, whether it's in Phoenix or L.A. or something like that with Navarrete. And, and I mean, Oscar and Navarrete is you know, just a brawl waiting to happen, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it, I mean that would be a fun fight either way. And then Navarrete, if he loses that fight, well, then he can just go right back to 126, you know? Um, 
And I know he hasn't been at 126 that long, but look at him, dude. He, he, you know, I don't think 26 to 30 is going to hurt him. He's got, he's just a big dude, you know. It's not like he's chubby or something at 126. You know what I mean? The dude's skinny, but put together, he, he's got a frame to go to 130 is my point. So if the worst thing is losing to Oscar Valdez in a war, in a great fight, shit, that might be fight of the year. You never know next year. And then going right back to 126, I don't think that's a bad deal. And, um, like, I understand people want it next, and that's cool. But that's, in reality, that's not the boxing game generally. So if they could match it up and then probably put Stevenson back in New Jersey, you know, in New Jersey at the Prudential Center or something like that, somewhere on the East Coast, and then and then meet the winners, I'd be down for that. I don't look at that as uh, people ducking or anything like that that Burchell, you know, did his style of fighting in this last fight take something out of him? I mean, possibly. You never know. Some of those guys like him don't have a, you know, a, a major shelf life, but a fair amount of people did favor him over Valdez in that fight. So I still think that's a good fight um, for Stevenson uh, and definitely Valdez and Navarrete. Then they meet next fall or the winter, you know, whatever early winter, December, November of next year, basically a year from now, you know, so they fight sometime in the spring or summer and then fight. I'd be fine with that problem with that at all. Um, so that's kind of clarifying that I did get some messages last week and this week. So I wanted to clarify some of that. I didn't want to ignore the people, uh, you know, sending that stuff. By the way, we're going to get to some current fight news, uh, just some other items out there. Um, Dick Berger, Victor, Virgil Ortiz has officially left Robert Garcia. Um, now, we don't know exactly where he's going. It does uh, sound like, you know, he's going to train with Eddie Reynoso. Coppinger said, as reported at ESPN Plus on the, on the stream, he said that they parted ways and he will train with Eddie Reynoso. Now, Virgil did... Um, push back, he said, unless me or my manager or my dad has spoken on anything related to my career, don't believe it. Um, and it, it was more like the Eddie Reynoso part. Um, so a little bit of a surprise there, I would have to say. Um, but if he goes to Eddie, then it's not like it's a bad move or something like that, right? I think that's a pretty damn good move. Um, but we'll see. We'll see where that goes. And maybe... You know, maybe Canelo being with the PBC as far as being able to do business with him, maybe that will help Virgil sneak in the door. You know, what about that? You know, um, who knows? By the way, Team USA for the World Championships um, had, you know, had some success, man, in the 2021 World Championships. Um, Gonzalez and Harvey. Um, got gold medals. Um, and we don't see gold medals a lot, world championships or Olympics or anything like that. I think four had medal rounds. Um, but yeah, two golds and a silver. Uh, I think it was Hill. Or wait, no, Hill took the bronze. That's what it was. Um, yep, that's what it was, a bronze and, uh, and then a silver. So Jamal Harvey, you know, did, you know, win the world championship. 
at, what was it, featherweight. I think it's the first since Rocky Juarez. That dates back, looking at boxing scene right now, to 1999. Um, and he beat someone from Kazakhstan. So it's not like, you know what I mean? That's not always an easy thing to do, right? Um, but, yeah, he, he had a beautiful run. Then Raheem Gonzalez of Vegas, he actually had to come from behind. He beat a dude from Belarus. He took the medal. So um, that was pretty damn impressive. Roscoe Hill um, is the one who got a bronze medal, I believe. Um, or wait, did he get a silver? Yeah, he had a silver. That's right, he had silver. And that's the first flyweight medal since 2011 with Rasheed Warren. So, and then Omar Jones, I think that's who got the, the other medal. But, yeah, the four medals is the most medals won by a men's elite team since 1999. So, um, we saw some improvement this last go-round, um, you know, in the Olympics. And now look at what we did here at the World Championship. So, obviously, some positive things going on there. Um, you know, we'll see if they can keep, you know, <laughs> keep it going just in general. Um, this is from Jake Donovan yesterday on BoxingScene.com. Alim and Habanoshian, WBA schedules November 12th purse bid hearing for a title eliminator. Rashid Alim uh, will be forced to wait out a purse bid hearing to determine whether to stick with the present plans or to pursue pursue an avenue intended to lead to a major title. Um, and so basically this might, you know, turn him into a, you know, if he wins this fight, whoever wins this fight, um, then that would be, he even says to define the next mandatory for um, MJ, Ahmad Dahlia, which that's a damn good fight right there. Um, it says the Aleem would be afforded the favorable end of the purse bid split in a final limiter to determine who would face the WBA and IBF uh, welterweight Uzbekistan, right? That guy. Um, and he actually has a fight against Ronnie Rios, you know, coming up here too. So, um, and we know Aleem had, you know, a, a fight already scheduled, but it got mixed up. So, He's going to wait it out and see if he can't put himself in um, to the mix, you know, so he can get a title shot against the, you know, it would be a really good fight. So, um, so there is that. We have some other uh, news. Oh boy. Oh boy. Okay. So as we know, um, Jake Paul is fighting Tommy Fury. A lot of people think it's a garbage fight. So, or some people think it's a garbage fight. Some people think that they're happy, you know, that he's stepping up to a boxer. They're doing exactly what was said. It sounds like Tyson Fury's, uh, you know, involved in this one. Um, so they are kind of hyping it up that way. Um, Amanda Serrano is on the undercard, so shots out to her. That's good for her, that's for sure. Um, she actually just tweeted this today happiness is being able to do what you love again on the biggest stages again i'll be the co-main in the pay-per-view um showtime pay-per-view event december 18th in tampa and she said uh don't forget to get your pre-sale tickets using my codes seriano 1218 so 
something to keep in mind there. I'm happy for her. But the uh-oh part on the undercard, and since it's this YouTuber slash whatever reality star, both these guys, uh, you know, turned to boxing of late, uh, Fury and, and um, um, Jake. Check this out. So this is uh, ESPN ringside. NBA venture point guard Deron Williams or Darren Williams will fight uh, running back Frank Gore, NFL star, in a boxing match. Okay. Now, one thing also, so it's NS, NFL versus NBA. Okay, that's going to be added to it. Um, you know, it makes sense because Frank Gore is a very popular fighter. Or fighter. <laughs> popular uh, a lot of people know his name he played in the league so long he has a lot a lot of yards and it's pretty crazy that he tore his ACL at a time that he didn't always come back great from ACLs he tore it when he was at college in Miami he was a he was a third string behind Portis and McGahee if you can believe that but anyway Frank Gore one thing I know about Frank Gore is he's been um training Boxing training for a long time. I don't know if it's, I know it's over a decade. I don't know if it's how long, like when he actually started, but I know this about him, that he's been in a boxing gym, not necessarily working out and sparring all these times, but, you know, he's been throwing punches and doing a boxing workout for quite some time. I say that only because I don't know, uh, you know, Darren Williams. I don't, I know him as a basketball player, but I don't know if he, he's messed around in a gym just of late or he, he's the type of guy that, because sometimes, sometimes like uh, Damian Lillard, right? He, he actually, Dame works, uses it as a workout. You see that with a lot of pro athletes in the offseason. So, but I would put my money, just from what I know about Frank Gore, I put my money on that. I put my money on Frank Gore, to be honest with you. Um, Connor Ben and Chris Algieri, in Liverpool, December 11th on zone. So they keep moving them against, you know, veteran, older guys. Not a lot of power, but I get it. You know, I do, I do get it. Um, oh, here's another one. Okay. So, <laughs> and this is, this has to do with Triller. So Triller, now they have a new theme. Okay, now it's a new thing. It's, it's, it's a new boxing MMA idea. So their first big fight is Frank Mir versus Kubrat Pulev. Okay, this is going to be November 27th. And this, so it's this new sport that they're coming up with, triad combat? Combat? What? Tri- triad? So it's a, oh, triad. Okay, I get it. Cause it's a triangle ring. So it's a mixture of boxing and MMA. I think there's a little wrestling and kicking involved. It's in a triangular ring over two-minute rounds using crossover gloves. So I don't know if it'll be a mixture or they're inventing a new glove as well. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) But uh, to me, this is... uh, you know, who knows? I mean, didn't they have the that boxing that was in a they, – they set up the 
was it bare knuckle boxing that was going to take over because they set up the ring more so you'd have to fight and all that and that was going to take over boxing and everything is going to take over boxing and you know it is what it is maybe there'll be some fun fights i don't know but <laughs> kevin draper <laughs> had a tweet saying if triller ever complains about the media not taking it seriously here's a line from its latest press release the highly anticipated anticipated debut of triad combat on saturday november 27th is expected to shatter all existing pay-per-view records in a unique broadcast which will include special surprises throughout so this thing's going to do what was it 4.6 million or something 4.7 million or something that manny and and uh floyd did this is going to break the record that's 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 what they're sending press releases out. So yeah, it's this new combat team team sport which incorporates you know boxing and all that. Um, and it's basically featuring a boxer competing against a mixed martial arts. Uh, this is John Nash saying the one gimmick rule set I keep waiting for is someone to try again all in wrestling or shoot or anything goes catch as you catch. What? Catch as you catch can. Oh, catch me as you can. So shooting and wrestling where you can, you know, dive and, and get the hell out of there. Basically, the old pro wrestling rule set with three-second pin submissions, no close fist to the head. Okay, that's what he's saying. He's waiting for That's not what this is, though. Um, yeah, I mean, it is what it is. But, you know, it is what it is. If you want to go for it, go for it. You know, I'm not going to stop you. Um, <laughs> this is actually from Crawford interview with the T- Timothy Bradley Jr., who, you know, is clearly biased for Crawford. Not tr- I love Tim as a, as, a, as a fighter, definitely. Um, so-so with him, you know, on, on broadcasting. Um, Sometimes he's right on, other times he's a little excited about a fight that's not really, I don't know, saying stuff like just too pro top-ranked stuff. Like, I remember after a performance, uh, Pedraza saying, okay, well, no one at 140 is going to fight Pedraza. They don't want to win that type of thing. Or like the Crawford versus Mayweather, he beats them, you know, every day of the week, you know. So basically like 100 times out of 100, he's beaten. And that's cool if that's your opinion, but so that, that kind of tells me that's an easy fight is what he's saying. But this is what he told us, what Terrence Cropper said. I told Sean Porter, I'm not looking, looking to fight you. I'm looking to fight Arrow. I'm looking to fight Keith Thurman because they got something to offer. I'm looking at them trying to use Sean as a pawn because he'll fight anybody. If I do too good, they may back up even more. We're here now. I'm going to show why these guys have been ducking. All right. Um, got a couple of uh, tweets here. Um, back in my day, Canelo Plant, Crawford Porter, and Davis Cruz would be all on the same card. I mean, I don't know about that. Maybe. Maybe on a Tyson card or something like that. Um, oh, boy. Here's another one. Why didn't Caleb Plant go hard with the USA-USA angle? 
It was fed there for him to feast on. I do not understand these U.S. boxers who seem to be afraid to represent U.S. The crowd, although small, was there for it all. He, and all he had to do was adapt their, their energy. Had Plant came out and said, no Mexico, USA, 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 and turned it into that, I think it would have sold out the roof. Fighters need better PR management, better PR coaches to stir up the – it's like then it would have really sold, although it's top ten gate of all time. You know, it's just like, what? And not only that, but you're telling me just chant USA to Mexican fight fans uh, is 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 going to be better than slapping somebody at a press conference? I mean, I, I remember seeing that highlight, ESPN IG, it got like 92 million views. So it, it's like, come on, guys. Canelo still, oh God, Canelo still doesn't have a signature win. He doesn't have one that makes you say, damn, this validates Canelo, uh, that he's a top-tier, all-time great. He had Floyd, who was right for the picking. Could have been that guy. He got dominated in that fight, didn't win a round. GGG could have, but he lost the fight, uh, but was gifted a decision. Then Canelo got exposed as a drug cheat, but he, he did win the, the, the second one. Uh, Charlo could have been that guy, but Canelo vacated and ran to a different weight class than Charlo, who was a, you know, the mandatory. Right now he's beaten up a lower and mid-tier guys, you really can't say one of the best fighters of the last few decades. When he, his best win was uh, ar- was arguably the Wash Kovalev. I think he beat Golovkin the second time. So, to me, you know what I mean? Oh, this Andre Ward stuff has been really funny, too. Now it's like, okay, who's going to win? Canelo or, you know, um, because, because he went undisputed, now he had a better run at 168 or just, a you know, at overall 168 because Ward didn't fight Boutte when he was in the tournament or, like, right fresh out of the tournament. Um, which, you know, Kessler and Frotch, to me, just those two names are better than anybody at 168 uh, that he spot. Um, Andre Ward is like the black cat crossing fighters training pack. Help Kirkland prepare for Canelo. Knocked out. Help Amir Khan prepare, prepare for Canelo. And this is funny because Kirkland, they, they how long was Kirkland out? So you, you thought Kirkland would have won if it was, but the black cat crossed him in his camp, Andre Ward. I mean, this is so stupid. Help Jacobs prepare for Canelo. Did you think Jacobs was going to beat Canelo? Did you think Plant was going to beat him? The ginger just did what Ward could never do at 168 at this point. Canelo holds a win over Andre. It's it's like, come on, guys. Come on. Imagine being pound-for-pound pound king by beating beating guys named Callum, Billy, and Caleb. And someone says, talk to us about the Triple G run at fighting the 160 murderers row. That's a good point, too. Gabe Rosado beats Munguia after beating Beck earlier in the year. Would he be in contention for being fighter of the year? I think comeback fighter of the year would be a little bit better, to be honest with you, in my mind anyway. Oh, Mikey Garcia 
this random like doctor's note that sounds like he had the flu or something. He was sick. He was basically sick. Um, going into the going into the Spence fight. That's what he just released this information. I, I believe it was him. I saw this before the show, but it's just weird in November 2021 for a fight that happened in March 2019 to put out, hey, man, I was sick in that fight. Like, okay. But the weird thing is, okay, that's the weirdest part, but he he must have either accidentally or whatever, he, he checked the, uh, the white as a race for his medical um, – documents, the paperwork. Someone actually said, Mikey, I see something Garcia going out bad. Who waits over two years to drop a doctor's note? Yeah, that that was really weird. That was very strange. Um, The doctor's note for Errol Spence loss looks weak on Mikey's behalf, to be honest. The real question is, why did he put white as race on the medical uh, paperwork? Yeah, exactly. That was a little interesting there. Huh. Okay. Breaking news, Caleb Plant suffered a left or orbital orbital fracture in the Canelo fight. And I did actually hear that um that that may have happened. I don't know if he had any kind of surgery or anything like that. I haven't heard that at all just yet. Um but I I've heard that from a couple different sources and one of them says that it's literally the Nevada State Commission. Um but I, I don't know that to be, you know, a 100% back. Uh, there was a picture of him that the eye did look kind of kind of messed up. But it, it's kind of, you know what I mean, it's, it's kind of tough to know exactly, um, you know, what happened there. He is under suspension till next May in Nevada. Um, and someone said that through that Nevada suspension that, that that's where – they uh, talked about that um, as far as, you know, him coming down or whatever. Um, or him, you know, having that eye injury. Okay. Uh, boxing would be a better place if there was big fights every weekend. But instead, it's like one big fight every six months and average to mediocre matches in between. And It's just a weird timing to say that. Like, hey, we, we had a lull. August, September, you know, we had a lull there where fights were falling apart. They were getting postponed. And, you know, it was like all of a sudden some of the – we had a good start to the year, and, and, and April was better than it normally was. Same with March. Gisela had a really good March. But March, April, May, and June, all the way through July because we had that undisputed. It, it, so, yeah, there was a, a couple months there where it kind of fell off. And then even the, the plant um, Canelo fight got pushed back. But it's just weird to say we only get one big, big fight once a month or, you know, every six months right now. I mean, last month we had a lineal heavyweight championship fight. We've had how many this year? Is this our third third undisputed? We've had six or seven undisputed, seven undisputed titles since the four belt era. And we had three of them this year. Now, one of them didn't get crowned because it was a draw. And then if you count the last year, 
let's say, because what was that, October or November? I want to say it was in October, mid-October. So the last 13 months, and I'm talking about the 2020 fall fight with obviously another undisputed, Tiafimo Loma. One, two, three, so four fights in the last 13 months were undisputed. And we're about to get, you know, Porter and Crawford. You know what I mean? Like, it's just it's just funny. And, and not to mention the unification fights in there, too. We're getting more unifications than we used to. I'm not trying to bring – I'm not trying to say 2021 is just the best year in the last five years, nothing like that. But it started out good, took a lull, but now it's back to being pretty hot. But it's just funny to, like, tweet that out right now. I don't know, man. I just don't – I don't know. I just don't get it. Um – think that's about it it's funny that people still have bizarre ideas of how bbc operates oh yeah the sacrifice sean porter by helping him get a title shot for millions bbc never said they lost money on sean like they say about or yeah buds promoter bob yeah that whole someone tweeted from the zone that oh it's a sacrificial lamb or, or maybe they were just tweeting what uh yeah i think they're tweeting what cropper you know, remember, it was a 60-40 deal to go over there. And there's no way, even though Crawford knows what it takes right now to make that fight, he even admitted it um, when him and Spence were talking about it. You know, it's – so what, is Spence supposed to come over there for 60-40? We know he's not going to come over for 60-40. At least that's what he said. I do think, no matter what both of them say, I actually do think that Spence would do 60-40. I also don't think that, and Crawford said the opposite too. You know, he he said that it's on the A side. It shouldn't even be fifty-fifty. I should get the cut, you know, because of my accomplishments. And I don't think I don't think he. I think Crawford would take fifty-fifty, just because he says something else too. I don't think he would. Just like I don't think Spence would be like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna seventy-thirty or eighty-twenty. I'm gonna eighty-twenty. I don't think he'd be eighty-twenty. You know, but. Just time and time again, media members love to just stir this stuff up like it's real, you know. Literally, he went over there for 60-40. Six million and four. That's what, that's what both fighters are. Now, you could make an argument that, hey, Crawford should just make that good-ass money and then wait till his contract comes up and then go fight him. Um, but he's already signed with MTK. I don't know if it's a fight-by-fight or if it's a multi-year. I have no clue. But – um We'll see what happens after this fight. Canelo should go down to 150 and fight Tank or Shakur can knock his ass out easily. Canelo should go down to 150, son. Tank or Shakur can knock his ass. Someone sent me this. That's a real tweet? Oh, my God. Oh, boy. That is uh, that's a fun one. That's a fun one. All right, one more here. Someone sent me this. Man, you fight nobody. This is what Canelo said uh, to Andre. Is Canelo Elvarez a classic case of the pot calling the kettle black? Paper champion, you know how we referred to him. You fight nobody. You're, cha- you know, you're a champion, but you're not fighting anybody. But what about you, Canelo? What top tier in the prime fighters has he faced? Seriously, dude? I mean, he... he recently has, <laughs> and 
Lara was in his prime. Cotto wasn't. Floyd wasn't in his prime, but it was a big-ass fight. I mean, Golovkin, both fights, was in his prime. Like, what are you talking about, dude? Danny Jacobs wasn't shot. Um, wow. <laughs> it's just like, oh, boy, man. Some of these some of these guys just get so emotional. Okay, that, that about wraps it up. Um, like I said, hopefully, you know, on paper – Mungi and Rosado seem like the, the fight that's going to pop off the most. But let's hope we get some great fights this weekend. We'll definitely be back next week. Peace out. Once you become the world champion, I believe that you feel